Now let's begin. Podcast listener, and welcome to Trek 1701, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, my name is Chris Lockhart. This is the Beta Crew episodes, and I am here with the Beta Crew. First up, we have Stephanie. How's it going, Stephanie? Good. And next up, we have Ragnar. How's it going, Ragnar? Well, hello out there, everyone. It's going quite well. Excellent. And last but not least, we have Ray. How's it going, Ray? Oh, it goes. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, before we get into tonight's topic, at the time of this recording, um, it is the beginning of December. This will be the last episode that we'll record in this year. Next, you know, next month we'll record another episode. But uh, you know, next week and the week after, I'm booked up, and then usually around Christmas time, I take a couple weeks off from podcasting just because you know, with all the Christmas craziness and stuff. That's usually the way it goes. Um, so we we have one more podcast recording, but it's not a Star Trek one. It's just the uh, yeah we got culture pub podcast. I think yeah we got. Um, uh, let me think here. What do we got? Yeah, we got Geek Fallout next week, and then the week after we have the the, the Christmas special episode. Ah, okay, so there's two more. Okay, yeah, and then. The fir- when we come back in January, the first week it'll be like the new you know New Year's resolution episode, and oh, then yeah. we'll, and then we'll all, start all rolling. The crap that we're not actually gonna do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's funny how when you go into a new year, you have you're so hopeful and optimistic, and you know this year I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and then at you know at some point in the year you realize, man. I really kind of set myself up for failure. Um, Because, yeah, like last year's resolutions, (laughs) I just, most of them I did not meet. Um, So, but anyway, we'll we'll talk about that when the time comes. But anyway, I was going to ask all of you uh, how uh, the Christmas season was treating you going into it. Are you you getting ready or, or, like, what's happening? Uh, so Stephanie, how's it going with your Christmas going into oh Christmas? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is like the worst question to ask me. So <laughs> for one, I've been working on the locally curated coffee advent calendars that oh. just went out to all the good boys and girls. Nice. I've been working on that since August. So oh, wow. I've had Christmas in my brain since August, to say the least. Um, oh. Yeah. It's been great, though. Everybody's happy. I am definitely fully caffeinated, and then some. One more cup. I'm going to go to warp here, seriously. Mm. Um, but I'm also playing a community band, so we have all the Christmas festivities that come up around Christmas, because everybody wants the Christmas music. So mm-hmm. 
it's been really busy. It's good, but it is very busy. I am ready for Boxing Day. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just can't believe how fast everything's come up, to me anyway. Um, I can't believe it's, you know, Christmas. But I have most of my shopping done. I have just a few minor things I think I need to pick up. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty much ready. And it's nice because I actually get time off like you, like the last, I don't know, seven years or so I've been working Christmas or around Christmas. Like I've never been able to like put my feet up and enjoy the holiday. Uh, but this year, uh, because I started a new position at my work, I actually get like 11 days off the way it works out so yeah i'm uh looking forward to it but at the same time it's like you know like back in the day i would have just loved having 11 days off it would have been awesome but i love my job actually like i you know since i've been promoted i've really been enjoying my my job and so it's like oh man i'm kind of i'm 11 days away from work so you know it's weird it's i've never felt this way before Usually it, it's met with celebration and, and, you know, excitement. And this year it's it's excitement, but it's like at the same time, I'm like, I'm going to kind of miss going, going to work. Um, but anyway, I'm going to gonna enjoy my time with my my friends and family. That's 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 what's going to be nice. Uh, Ray, how's it going with you, with your uh, going into the Christmas season? Uh, it's looking to be a pretty uh, chill holiday season on my end. Uh, husband and I don't have any kids or anything, so not a lot of shopping to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's looking like we're not going to do. Uh, you know, might head over to see my parents, and that's about it. And nothing really much. It's a shaping up to be a pretty laid back December for once. So excellent. Can't yeah, you, yeah, that you can't argue with that. Um, and Ragnar, um, how, how's your Christmas shaping up? Uh, I think I'm pretty much done all my Christmas shopping. Uh, I kind of, you know, because of the line of work I'm in where I'm at all these different trade shows and events all year long, I end up buying stuff for people when I, whenever I come across it. And then I put it all in a big drawer under my bed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I opened that up the other day and went through it. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm pretty much covered here. Just need, you know, a couple little things. Um, I'm going to be doing, looks like two different Christmases this year. Mm. Uh, Christmas number one on Christmas day is going to be with, uh, my best friend, Alexa, who, you mm-hmm. know, Chris, she's yep. on some of the other podcasts. Yep. And, and funnily enough, her son is named Riker, but she's never watched Star Trek Next Generation. No. She just liked the name. She didn't realize it was a Star Trek name. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and then on Boxing Day, I'm going to be hosting um, kind of like an orphan Christmas at my house for all my different friends that don't have much family or don't have anywhere else to really go. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be cooking a turkey and hopefully not poisoning everybody. And uh, it should be fun. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, with, with Christmas coming up, um, like, like Christmas is 
my personally my favorite holiday you know like a lot of people are like halloween or whatever but christmas is my holiday um so since like at work uh normally christmas doesn't really get acknowledged a whole lot but since like i became like the the boss um like i decor you know i put deck christmas decorations out and all this other stuff uh just because i love it i love it so much like i've been putting out candy canes uh for for the for the my people um and like i've just been enjoying it it's been such a such an awesome christmas this year so far um because i always said if i ever get to be boss i'm put i'm putting up a christmas tree in in the control room and i did this year because uh good for you yeah and i mean i didn't really decorate it but it it has built-in lights and stuff so um it just it, it i don't know i just love the christmas season and 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 the fact that it's you know we're acknowledging it at work um this makes work so much more festive and fun but i also like halloween like halloween i did put some decorations up this year but you know i'm more of a christmas guy myself mm-hmm. but anywho um for this episode uh, we are talking thoughts on modern Star Trek. So we're talking 2009 to today. Because um, I like, I think Gragnar and I, we, we've gone on the record with some of our thoughts and stuff. But, you know, not, not everyone... <laughs> we're not opinionated. Yeah, not, yeah no, not everyone shares our opinion. Some people, you know, you know I, like honestly, I, I'm not sure where Ray and Stephanie stand on on modern star trek but um i just I have it. a feeling they're not quite on the same page as us yeah not quite but i think maybe in some some things um so really for star trek in terms of of um the franchise and fandom uh well not so much fandom just more of the franchise is i i i consider there's two eras of star trek there's like the first 40 years and then there's what came after the first 40 years we had the original series uh which i the first 40 years i call the roddenberry bennett berman era Mm -hmm. the reason why i call it that is because gene roddenberry created the original star trek he helped launch the star trek franchise into the movies um then harv bennett took over the movies from uh star trek two through five and then um following star trek 4 roddenberry and berman uh launched star trek next generation and then rick berman eventually took over as the head of star trek after gene roddenberry passed away and then he took over the move the next generation movies um he helped co-create deep space nine voyager enterprise and then Enterprise got canceled 2005, and then the Star Trek franchise kind of just fizzled up, fizzled out. Like it, like I mean, they had the books and all that kind of stuff, but filming-wise, it ended. And then it came back four years later in 2009 with the J.J. Abrams movies, and J.J. Abrams was kind of like put in charge of the Star Trek franchise by Paramount at that point. And then when they went to do the TV stuff he tapped his his friend uh, Alex Kurtzman in to take over 
and then so I call this the modern era of of, of Star Trek the Abrams Kurtzman era. Um, so that our modern Star Trek, if you will. So, um, my first question to everybody is: What are your thoughts on the J.J. Abrams movies? And we'll start with you, Stephanie. What What are your thoughts on the three J.J. Abrams films? The Star oh are, Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond, or no? Yeah, Star Trek Beyond is the third one, and then Star Trek Into Darkness is the second one. Yeah, Into Darkness is the second one. So I did my homework, and I did try to rewatch these this week. I'm going to emphasize try. Um, I thought about this a lot, and I keep thinking about my Kia Rondo, which sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> hear, hear me out, though. Hear me out. Okay. Okay, so here's why every time I watch these movies, I think about my little Rondo. So for those of you who don't know, it is a Euro wagon. It's this weird little car that's this combination of a car and a minivan and an SUV. It got discontinued because if you want a car, you're going to go for a car. If you want a van, you get a van, SUV, SUV. I feel like the Abrams movies are this same weird little combo like it's star trek but it's an action movie but it tries to be modern and if you want like if you want star trek you're gonna go to the like the first 40 like the roddenberry star trek like we were just talking about Mm -hmm. if you want your action movies you're gonna go to an action movie like if you want a modern movie pick pretty much anything else like i'm sure there is a very small portion of the population that does appreciate and really likes these movies but i'm not in that segment i'm sorry like Mm -hmm. i fell asleep and there was i don't know like explosions actions like i'm not an action movie person so i fell asleep to explosions and some intense action scene i woke up to an intense action scene 45 minutes later and it was like no matter where i jumped in all three of those movies it was some intense action scene Mm-hmm. which just, I'm sorry, that does not do it for me. The only thing that does it for me is, as a band geek, the music from the like that beautiful horn line that they came up with in the first one. Love that. Everything else, just sorry, sorry, I can't. <laughs> I just, I can't. <laughs> All right. And for the record, the Rondo has been discontinued. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> right? Um. <laughs> All right. Um, the yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you just said, Stephanie. Um, but I got a few things to add. Um, so yeah, I, I I actually agree with everything you said. Plus, I got more 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 to add. I oh should boy. say, um, like the 2009 film when it came out, I actually liked it when I first saw it because. I was so starved for Star Trek at that point. Um, you know, the fact that Enterprise got canceled after season four, and it was such a great season, I was so heartbroken. So four years mm-hmm. later, they're like, oh, we're going to do this movie. And originally I was apprehensive because um, for people who don't know, during the Bennett era, or Rodmary Bennett era, Originally for Star Trek Six, he wanted to do a movie where it would just be Kirk and Spock, and they would be talking about how they met at the Academy, 
and it would be like their first adventure. So that's what this movie kind of felt like to me. It was like, oh, they finally did the, mm-hmm. that Bennett movie where, you know, Kirk and Spock are at the Academy. But it to me, it never made sense because um, Spock... Well, actually, the one thing they got right in this movie was in the first one was that Spock was actually teaching at the Academy. So, that, you know, he was actually in space longer than Kirk. And that is actually from you know, the original series, because mm-hmm. he was there with Captain Pike. Um, but then it, I kind I kind of gave it a pass because I liked what they did when they said this was a different timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, that's a stroke of genius. You know, and then in that first movie, they say, like, you know, anything could happen. Like, they're, like someone, I, I forget, like Uhura or Spock, one of them has a throwaway line where they say, like, you know, now that the timelines are different, you know, we can die. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Um, for the most part, I thought the casting was pretty solid, uh, especially Zachary Quinto as Spock. Mm, yes. he, like, he was amazing. And and having Leonard Nimoy show up, I thought was, was, was good, you know. Um... And one thing I noticed that it that movie um, because it was like the action movie, um, it got people talking about Star Trek that normally didn't talk about Star Trek. Like I remember being at my at my work and being in the locker room, getting changed to either go home or go to work. I can't remember, but some of the maintenance guys were actually talking about Star Trek in the locker room. And I know they're not Star Trek fans, but they actually watched this movie and were and were like beaming about it, like they were just excited. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you know. Then I thought, okay, I'll give it a, you know, like it's not really my cup of tea, but I like the fact that it's in an alternate timeline and they can do things that are different. Then when they did Into Darkness. And they brought Khan into it. Like, first I was excited because Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And, and he was in this movie as the bad guy. I was like, cool. And then, oh, I'm Khan. I'm like, oh, that makes no sense. Like, you don't look anything like Ricardo Montalban. Um, but I guess, again, they have a throwaway line that, like, they changed his appearance so people wouldn't recognize him or something. I don't know. And then they killed Kirk. Which, at the time, I was like, whoa, this is, a, you know, like, kudos to them. You know, they, they, they said in the first movie that this is a different timeline, anyone could die, and they killed Kirk. And then Spock goes on a big rage and yells Khan, and then he beats up Khan. And I was like, you know, I can't, I can't you know, I just remember being in the theater, being in shock. I was like, they, they killed Captain Kirk, like that, you know. How brave of them, how, how you know, amazing that they did that. And then the next scene, he's back to life. And they're, and Dr. McCoy just, like, says, oh, yeah, you know, I just gave you some of Khan's blood and it, and it brought you back to life. And I remember just being flabbergasted in the theater thinking, what the fuck did they just do? Like, you literally found a cure for death and it's, you just make it a throwaway line like oh yeah you know just injected some blood but we're never going to talk about it again and they never did and i was like okay you you guys are done like you know like i was having a hard time with this movie but when the when you 
killed off Kirk, I was like, oh, okay, now, you know, the next movie will be about Spock, and it'll, you know, it'll be different. Uh, but no, they went the safe route, and it's typical J.J. Abrams. Like, a, I'm, like I used to think J.J. Abrams was great, but I, I don't think he's great anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then Star Trek Beyond, just, yeah, it was, eh. You know, now they're talking about doing a fourth one, like they've been talking about for years, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm not invested in these movies at all. Like, mm-hmm. but anyway, that's that's my take on the J.J. Abrams films. Uh, Ray, uh, what's your opinion on the the J.J. Abrams movies? Uh, as a whole, pretty underwhelmed, honestly. They're fine, I guess. I, like when they first, like you, when they first came out, like when the trailer for the first came out, one came out, I was just, I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. I remember, like you said, that, that feeling of being starred for Star Trek, and when the young Kirk kind of goes over the cliff and like comes back up, it's like, James Tiberius Kirk, and you're like, yes. And I was so excited for it. And mm-hmm. you know, the first one was fine. It was fine. It's, I think, throughout all three of them, as a general rule, the plot beats are fairly major action movie. You expect the reversals. You expect, you know, everything that kind of happens is fairly predictable and according to how these movies tend to go. Yeah. It's, I think they're well cast, like you said. Uh, like, uh, Zachary Quinto has uh, that ability of all, you know, all actors who play Spock especially, but Vulcans just generally well, mm-hmm. which is to say he can say live long and prosper and clearly mean go fuck yourself. Yeah. And so that that's, you know, he's great there. I just, they're fine. I never think of them when I think of Star Trek. And I think part of that is Star Trek to me is such an ongoing ensemble that movies are the wrong format for it. I don't mind... You know, it's one thing to have the series and then have movies added on to that, but movies as standalone uh, installments, it, it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't fit Star yeah. Trek. Mm-hmm. And I, I think these, like, they're all very cosmetically beautiful. They're all very aesthetically pleasing and well done. Everything looks high budget. But the actors haven't had that chance to build things up in an episodic, low-budget way. Mm-hmm. And I think that really shows... Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, one thing I would add, like, and, and like I know as this episode goes on, it's going to seem like I'm dumping on modern Star Trek. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek, but I'm not a blind, loyal Star Trek fan. Like some Star Trek fans are just blindly loyal. They, they'll just love anything as long as it says Star Trek, right? I, I've never been that person. Um, like I've had issues with other, like with Voyager, with, um, and, and especially the next generation movies, um, because they became formulaic, you know, like when you think about it, every next generation movie, you got your principal bad guy, the movie ends with Picard physically fighting the bad guy and, you know, a big action ship sequence. And then Picard beats the bad guy, and the bad guy dies. Like, that's literally what happened in every four Star Trek Next Generation movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it always bugged me, because it's like, for one, you know, 
Picard wasn't an action guy. Like, he was the diplomat. He was the guy that would talk his way out of a battle, you know, because he, you know, he was the diplomat. Kirk was the one that used to beat up on people. But he only did that in one of his six movies. It was only Star Trek Three that he actually physically fought the bad guy. Every other Star Trek movie he was in, that didn't happen. And then Picard, every one of his movies, he fights the bad guy. Like it, it just, I that just drove me nuts. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, it, it, I think um, with the TNG movies. And with these J.J. Abram movies, I think the studio basically said, this is what we want. We want an action movie. We want a big battle. We, you know, we want to be able to, you know, sell some toys. So, you know, you know, make some new uniforms, make some, you know, some changes to the ships and do this and do that. And unfortunately, um, it just didn't work, you know, for, for me, um, and I think maybe if they had had a chance, maybe this these films could have been better. Um, unfortunately, like with the TNG films, I know I'm going off a little tangent here. Unfortunately, with the TNG films, um, at the time, like when they went off the air and stuff, they didn't have these streaming services like they have now. Like now you could, like with when the, we had Star Trek Picard, they you know the third season, they kind of had like a TNG reunion. And it was kind of cool. Because this is the format that you would tell these stories in. You can't tell a 10-hour story in a two-hour movie. You just can't. And unfortunately, when you have an ensemble cast, you know, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and that, I think, was the problem with these J.J. Abram movies as well, is because, you know, they wanted to give everyone a little time to shine, but you only had two hours, and it just felt overwhelming but anyway uh ragnar what are your thoughts on the jj abrams films so i personally don't like jj abrams films and tv shows because he he in his television shows he does that thing where he sets up a really cool mystery then he introduces you to a bunch of interesting characters and then he never solves the mystery. You get right to the end of it, and then instead of explaining it, there's just something new. Yeah. And I know that that's supposed to hook you in, but for me, it was a real piss-off not having the mystery be solved and having that riddle just go unanswered. Mm -hmm. That drove me nuts. That's why I don't like the show Lost. With J.J. Abrams' movies, he doesn't really do that, but he... he when he did this, the Star Trek movies, he put too much action in them and not enough character and story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and most of the cast, I thought, were really good. Most of them were playing, you know, close to the characters that I, as I felt them to be. But there was too much action going on. You never really got attached to any of the characters. Um, I also, and I love Simon Pegg, but I did not like him as Scotty, and I didn't think that his Scotty looked, sounded, or felt like the, the Scotty of the old films. Yeah. Whereas, like, 
Spock was a maybe not a dead ringer, but he like you didn't. I had no trouble accepting him as Spock. Yeah, Zachary Quinto. He walked out of Spock. I'm like, yeah, there's young Spock. Cool. I'm in. Like no problem. And and you know Carl Urban's bones look different from you know the bones we saw on television, but he played a very similar character, and it all worked. Mm-hmm. But uh, Scotty was a disappointment for me. And it's kind of funny because Simon Pegg was super passionate about these films. I believe he wrote oh, yeah. the third one. Mm-hmm. And yep. he's one of the people that's pushing really hard to get a fourth one made. And it's kind of funny to me because, for me, he's one of the worst parts of the film. And I'm a big fan of his and a lot of his other projects, but this is the one that just didn't work for me. So anyways... When I saw the first one in theaters for the first time, I left the theater thinking that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, okay, they did a good job casting it. It was pretty good. But when I rewatched it, I was like, there's really no story. It's all just action. And the villain should have got more screen time and been a little bit more sinister because they could have done more with him, I think. And they, and they could have made the stakes more extreme. And then they could have given all the cast just more time to show us who they are instead of just immediately going into an an action sequence. However, as you were saying, by doing the action sequences, it did draw in a crowd of people that don't normally watch Star Trek. Mm -hmm. People like my dad, who's not a Star Trek fan, liked those movies because they were all action. Yeah. So I don't think J.J. made those films trying to um, draw in the existing Star Trek crowd. I think his goal was, let's make Star Trek like Star Wars, where it's way more accessible. Yeah. And uh, I won't get into it, but I did not like his Star Wars films either. No. Uh, but that, I could do a <laughs> That's whole, a whole other episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as a whole, I didn't really like them. I think the first one is the best of them. I did like Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. as Khan if you accept that it's a completely different Khan. Mm-hmm. Like it, for a modern audience, his Khan was excellent. But if you're trying to pretend that it's the same person, he didn't play it the same way. His Khan wasn't physically powerful in the same way, although he like he was a physical threat, but he didn't look like it. Um, so I, I really enjoyed his performance, but I had to completely separate it as this is like alternate universe con. This isn't the same origin story. And so there's some, there's some flaws with that, but I will say in the second movie, when Spock loses his temper and actually gets angry and, and we get to see a Vulcan unleashed, that was awesome. I thought that was so cool because I think that is exactly what would happen if you could get a person like that to that point. If you could push somebody like Spock to the point where he snaps, I think he'd be fucking terrifying. And he was. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know that that's totally true to the character. Like, I don't think the Leonard Nimoy Spock would have ever done that. But I still really enjoyed that part. Um... Yeah. Oh, and of course, um can't think of the actor's name, but the guy who played Chekhov died. 
Yeah. Uh, Anton Yelchin. Anton yeah. Yelchin. And he was great. I thought his checkoff was killer. Like, he oh. was one of the, the closest casting, I thought. Um, but he's, unfortunately, he passed away at a very young age. So mm-hmm. if they were to make more of them, we don't get checkoff in them. And that, that's very sad, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will just add, uh, like, with Simon Pegg, yeah, I, I love Simon Pegg, but yeah, he was not Scotty. And the reason he got cast is because he's friends with J.J. Abrams. Like, that's just, yeah. you know, J.J. Abrams just casts his good buddies in these movies. Because um, mm-hmm. there's him, and then there's that Greg, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, shit. I mean, he gets cast in, in all J.J.'s stuff, too. Greg. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, can't remember. He was the pilot in the Lost pilot uh, uh, show on, on Lost. Uh, he was a um, starfighter for the Resistance in Star Wars. Greg, oh, oh it's just okay. on the tip of my tongue, too. He was an alias. He was Grunberg? A, Grunberg, no. yeah. Greg, yeah, I think that's his name, Greg Grunberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, he, he's good buddies with J.J., so he always gets cast. Yeah. Same with Dom, Dominic what? Wanahan, um, yeah, yeah. The, the guy from the Lord of the Rings movies, because he was in the Star Wars movies yeah. as a Resistance guy. Yeah, that's true, and he was and and he was in Lost, and he was good in Lost. Yeah, um, and Simon Pegg was actually in The Force Awakens. He He's the traitor guy that Ray Yeah, sells. he's the weird traitor guy yeah. that could have... It was also it was a CGI character and it could have been voiced by anybody. Yeah, kind of. It was kind of a shame to bring in somebody of that caliber for such a meager part. That that's like, like the, Dan, the Daniel Craig stormtrooper has a better cameo. I was just gonna say that they had Daniel Craig in that movie and they use him as a, yeah. a throwaway stormtrooper. Well, he was. They were filming it next door. And he like literally just popped over and they did it. It wasn't. Yeah, I suppose it wasn't written in the script for him. And I also think Kev- um, Kevin Smith played a stormtrooper too. I think, but really? it, oh, yeah, cool. pretty sure. But anyway, you were going to uh, say Ragnar? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally sure who I would have picked to play young Scotty, but I would not have picked Simon Pegg. Well, to be honest I'm with you, sure, I, if we put our heads together, we could find somebody better. I think the mistake that they made was trying to recreate the original cast. I think it like I mean don't yeah. get like if if you want to have Spock, Kirk and McCoy, okay, but do you really need to replace Scotty? Like could like if Simon Pegg had played a different character, I think it would have made it more interesting because one you wouldn't be comparing him to James Doohan. You wouldn't be like he doesn't look anything mm-hmm. like James Doohan. Plus you'd be you'd be thinking in the back of your head he could die because he's not Scott, you know, he's just a new character. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. so he might not be safe, even though they're not supposed to be safe because it's a new timeline. But clearly, you don't want to get rid of the stars. So, but anyway, so yeah, yeah, I, I guess we kind of all agree. Yeah, but that's my that's my thoughts on them. Um, and they they you know they did bring some new interest to Star Trek, and I'm sure that they paved the way for all of the newer TV shows. Um and. I don't think we'd have much of that if these films hadn't have happened or if they had happened and just tanked. Yeah. So yeah. so using that as a segue to go into the shows, like the Alex Kurtzman Star Trek shows, Kurtzman 
has said that Star Trek Discovery and Strange New Worlds and Star Trek Picard are in the same timeline as the Roddenberry shows, as the Next Generation, oh, as that, Star Trek. And that just drives me bonkers. It does, and I, I, I don't accept that. I honestly, I think his shows are in the same universe as the J.J. Abrams movies. Like if I think of them, I don't and they, even think that, that doesn't even that doesn't even work. They're they're like they have to be viewed in their own separate universe. I I guess, but like yeah, maybe maybe, but I definitely like with Star Trek Picard. It, even though you have the all the original TNG guys coming back in the third season, and it was great. Don't get me wrong, but it still didn't feel like that was the Next Generation universe. It felt yeah. it, it felt so, more like J.J. Abrams. So why don't why don't we break it down and we'll talk about Discovery? Okay, yeah. And then we'll talk about Picard mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about yeah. Lower Decks. Yeah, I'm definitely getting ahead of myself. Oh, and, and there's that Nickelodeon show too, Prodigy. Yeah, yeah, Prodigy. So, so why yeah. don't we break it down? Series by series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to. I was just kind of making a blanket okay. statement. Um, so, yeah. Let's start with Star Trek Discovery. And we will start... Well, I guess I'll start this this round. Um, I had such high hopes for Star Trek Surprise! Discovery. He didn't like it. <laughs> I wa- Spoiler and, alert. Yeah. And, I want, I, and I've said this many times, but I'll, I'll just say it again. It, I don't like not liking star trek if uh, does that make any sense i want to love star trek i do but when it's not good i can't just blindly say oh this is awesome like some people can like you know and to each their own like maybe they genuinely think it's awesome but i have a lot of problems with star trek discovery and the fact that they went the prequel route i hate that because you just set yourself up for so many continuity errors and and contrivances and so on and so forth like spock having an adopted sister that he's never mentioned before like that just bugged me not that i don't like uh uh martin green i believe that's her name mm-hmm. i think she's a fine actress she she was like when she was on the walking dead i didn't mind her on the walking dead and Michael Burnham could have been a great character, but the fact that you shoehorned her into Spock's backstory, that bothered me. And I just didn't buy into it, and I just felt like they, you know, like they have like this, this piece of paper saying, you know, we have to have all the all these check marks, you know, for diversity's sake. We got to have, you know, have this type of character and this type of character and this type of character. I... It just doesn't. It doesn't feel genuine. Like the original series, one of the charming things about it is the fact that you had all these different ethnic groups. You you know you had Uhura, who was um, from the United States of Africa. You had uh, Scotty, who was from Scotland. Chekhov was from Russia. Uh, Sulu was from Japan. Um, Kirk was from America. Bones was from America. Spock was from Vulcan. You had all these different people from different countries, different worlds, different backgrounds, all working together, and it felt authentic. But now it just seems like it's being forced on us, like all these different ethnicities. And it, and I don't know, aside from Captain Pike, I just feel like any 
straight white guy is just not he's he's not meant well in these modern shows um so anyway not a fan i i tried uh, you know the first season it was it was rough i i came back for season two because of anson mount i love anson mount he's one of my favorite actors hell on wheels is one of my favorite shows so i was super excited that he was going to be captain pike but even halfway through season two, I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm sorry, I got I to gotta dibs out. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. I didn't like what they did with Spock. And, yeah, I just kind of gave up. And that was that. Uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery? So, I only watched about two and a half seasons of it. Um... trying to think of how to put this so i for, for one at least at the end of the second season and i won't go into spoilers here but if you haven't seen it they do a very big plot twist go ahead go, least... go ahead and spoil don't, don't worry about spoilers oh, no, no. i will i will not spoil <laughs> this but they do go ahead and give at least a bit of an explanation for why uh spock doesn't mention yeah. any sister ever again yeah and it's a little pat, but it's at least a reason you can take and be like, okay, well, fine. I think on the whole, I like the second season a lot more than the first. I think as a series, it really prioritizes drama over people. Mm -hmm. And that's its fault. Like there's three seasons in. There are several characters that I've seen them almost every episode, and yet I don't know what their names are because mm -hmm. it focuses on like four mm. characters and doesn't really develop the others in any meaningful sense. And I find that's really to its detriment as a Star Trek show. Mm -hmm. I think especially in the first season, it expected to have its plot twists without it being earned. Season two rectify that a little bit. But it just, it it really wanted to have all these big dramatic plot twists and things like that without ever having us be invested in these people. And then it felt like the things that it did build up naturally just got tossed away for the sake of one episode. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, with Hugh being killed off for, sorry, that's a bit of a spoiler, but what's his name, right? I don't know what else I've watched this. Yes. But I mean, season two, again, they walked some things, not necessarily walked some things back, but they added nuanced things. And you can see, okay, I see how season one was meant to set up season two and how season two is meant to set up season three. But that's asking a lot of patience when you're just in season one, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's really asking a lot on faith that it hadn't earned. And I think Discovery gets criticized a little bit as being overly air quotes woke. And I kind of disagree with that. I like take in comparison the Orville, for example, I think is much more explicitly concerned with those matters and yet doesn't have the same criticisms leveled against it. I think the Discovery's problem in that again it prioritizes drama over people and relationships, and it just has no subtlety whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So because it focuses overly on a couple of characters and it over dramatizes everything, the score, the plot twists. Everything is just so much more ham-fisted. So if you're looking to pick that out, that gets 
that's so much more visible there just because nothing is done with any subtlety. But all those sort of, as you mentioned, all those concerns about diversity and equality and all those sort of things were absolutely there in Trek from the beginning, from, you know, mm-hmm. Kirk's kiss from Ricardo Montalban being put up there as a superior person. It like all those things have been there all along. It's just that discovery just has no subtlety in anything that it does. So because that's I think that's often criticized nowadays, that gets picked up on. But it's just as true of the, the musical score and the dialogue and everything like that. It's all so overdone without really understanding why it's important and meaningful in Trek. And so it just really misses often for me. It's it's just really overblown and overdone without understanding the nuance of why things in Trek matter. And I think it's something that like Lower Decks does really well, for example, mm-hmm. in contrast to it. So I didn't, you know, the first season I really disliked. The second season I liked a bit more. I started the third season and I just, I don't know, I couldn't keep up with it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, like the whole diversity thing, like, it, it's funny because um, with Star Trek, being a Star Trek fan, um, and not just uh, diversity, but the fact that they could tell tell stories about issues without, you know, blatantly beating you over the head with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they did it so well that you you know you could appreciate it, and you just accepted it. Uh, whereas I think Discovery, it's like, no, we got this character. Look at this character. It's so great that we got this character. And, you know, and, and Michael Burnham's the first, you know, black female captain. And it's like, no, actually, she's not. You know, like we saw there was a black female captain in Star Trek Four. I can't remember her name, but she was at the beginning of the movie. Um, you know, it's like they... It, I don't know. It's, to me, it always it feels like they're self congratulatory. Like they want, you know, they want to. Oh, we're doing this and we're doing that. And it's like, yeah, but Star Trek's been doing that all along. But clearly, you didn't see that or understand that. As Star Trek fans, like, yeah, diversity was there and all that. We just accepted it for what it was. It was just this is the future. In the future, you know, racism, bigotry, all that kind of stuff isn't there anymore, you know, at least that, you know, among humans, but um, I mean, it's still there in terms of, you know, you know, like in the original series, cause they were on a limited budget, you know, they literally had a planet of Nazis, right? But in ne- next generation, they had the Cardassians, the Cardassians were the modern day Nazis, right? So you could tell that type of story with them as an allegory for the Nazis, but hum- humanity itself was was past all this, but they still had to deal with this from other cultures. Um, but to me, it just feels like Discovery kind of missed that memo that you know, you know, we get we have to blatantly show you all this stuff because we don't think you're smart enough to figure it out for yourself. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know, just. Like, yeah, it just it's it it's just too much for me. Uh, Ragnar, uh, what what are your thoughts on Discovery? So, I was in a hotel room traveling for one of my trade shows, 
and I turned on some random channel, and it was like halfway through, I think it was the first episode of season one of Discovery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is that new show. And so I watched it, not understanding the whole thing, because I'd missed the half of it. And I was like, okay, this looks intriguing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, a month or two later, I got home, and it was on whatever streaming service, and so I was watching it. Initially... I really was enjoying season one of Discovery. I personally hate the prequel, sequel, remake bullshit. And I I wish they would have just said this is, like, why not be later in the timeline? This is 100 Mm -hmm. years after Next Gen. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's in a different quadrant of the galaxy. Oh, cool. Um, So no one's ever seen season three, have they? (laughs) No. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I know I know what happens, but I okay. haven't actually watched it. Um, I've said this before about Discovery, and I and I'll say it again. If it was just not Star Trek, if it was just Discovery, and it had no Star Trek ties, I'd be like, man, this new sci-fi show friggin' kicks ass. You guys should watch this. But because it's Star Trek and it's a prequel, it's like this doesn't make sense. The technology doesn't match. The uniforms don't match. The characters don't match. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They have this mushroom drive shit that they that we've never seen before, which is amazing. But, like, well, now you got to find a way to explain why we've never seen it in any other Star Trek ever. So and maybe they, they do. I stopped watching after a little bit into season two. They do, in fact. But, I mean, that's the sort of thing of, like, they really want you to take that on faith for several seasons before they get around to it. And it's just all unearned, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't really like the character of Michael Burnham because Michael Burnham started out a certain way and I was like, cool. And then at somewhere around episode seven, I think of season one, she falls in love with this dude who's an imposter and it just makes no sense at all. And it and it from that moment on, I'm like, I can't get into this character anymore because this is such bad writing. Mm. Mm-hmm. But up until about that point, I thought it was pretty cool. I liked the the new take on Klingons, how they were actually scary, they were actually dangerous, and they were more tribal, and that each tribe had a different look. I thought that was all really cool. They did change the Klingon language, which I thought was unnecessary, but okay. Um, and, of course, there's the whole thing of, like, those Klingons wouldn't match up with the Klingons' Kirksees and, and all that. But I, I think you have to abandon those quibbles with if you're going to try to watch this show. Um, and, and I was enjoying the alternate, you know, the mirror universe, and, you know, these people are from there. To a point, but after a while, I got tired of it. And as a whole, I'm going to say the special effects look great. Some of the characters were great. Some of the characters were not great. But I don't think that is on the actors. I think the writing is what sucks. And Star Trek was always known for having really good writers. Yes, there Mm -hmm. are terrible episodes in every series that are poorly written because they had to fill 26 episodes. But overall, it was always known as a show that was very well written. And Discovery is not well written. 
the 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 story is terrible the plot points are terrible some of the act like some of the characters are unbelievable it's just really poorly written and that's my biggest beef with it and i stopped watching somewhere in season two when i realized it wasn't going to get better they weren't going to fix the mistakes of season one they were just going to keep going and i'm like oh i'm i'm out now as for as for it being too quote unquote woke star trek's always been super woke this one just hits you over the head with it a little too hard yeah and and mm-hmm. i i really think that that the orville did a much better job of dealing with those issues because they dealt with it the way star trek deals with it mm-hmm. which is like yes these are important issues and yes we are you know using you know this to compare to things that are happening on earth now but discovery just it, it just beat you over the head with the stuff and it was just i found it very unpleasant and and to it felt too self congratulatory like you were saying chris mhm mhm um so once again i i'm going to recommend to people if you want a new star trek series try the orville if you haven't already because it is the best new star trek since you know voyager or enterprise uh you know although i really love lower decks and and you know if you really want a new star trek series you should watch lower decks yeah but uh i i found discovery a very tough watch at times they they changed too much they reinvented the wheel too much and the writing is just abysmal yeah um, so, but they, they had they had some good ideas. Unfortunately, they also had some really bad ones. A, a couple things I wanted to add. Um, on the positive side, I do like the character of Saru, and I do oh, like Saru, Saru kicks ass. Yeah, yeah, and I do like Cadet Tilly. I like yeah. I liked her. You know, like wide eyed. You know, just happy go lucky excited to be there i like that type of character you and, know and jason jason isaac's captain who eventually turns out to be a villain mm-hmm. he was awesome yeah he, I, he dies and he's and he's not in the rest of the show or so so is my understanding but he was great yeah he's, he's great, a he's great actor. Actor. You, yeah. you can give him a dog shit script and he'll make it good yeah absolutely <laughs> But yeah, and yeah, Doug Jones as Saru, like I mean, Saru yeah. was fascinating, and like I said, one of the you know best things to come out of you know modern Star Trek is you know the introduction of Saru and his species. You know, I thought it, it was interesting. Yeah. You know, it was fascinating alien, and, and yeah, they, uh, the 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 shame about Saru is that he's in Discovery and not in a better series. The the shame about Saru is. They should have like he should have been captain like he deserved it more than anybody, and it seemed like yeah. every every time they're going to go that route they they pulled the rug under and no nope. yeah I agree they, they, uh, Captain Saru from season two onwards I would have been way way more on board with I mean I love Anson Mount I'm I'm glad that you know yeah. they they introduced yeah. him but um and then I I was also going to say um one thing about modern Star Trek and and it this kind of blankets over all of like 2009 JJ Abrams films and all that is I hate the way Starfleet officers talk on these shows. Um, 
like the like the, you know the fact that they're cussing and swearing and being insubordinate like that shit would not fly on Picard's ship you know like when um that engineer lady is telling Saru to I think he, she tells him to shut the fuck up or something or she says something to him yeah you're right there was an f bomb and, and it's like mm-hmm. There's no, like, Picard, like, if someone talked like that to Picard, he would have had them thrown in the brig. But, I was going to say airlock, but, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, you, you, there's a chain of command, and you, and you have to respect that. But these modern Star Trek writers just don't understand that. And I think the reason for that is because when Star Trek uh, was originally created, it was created by Gene Rodbeard, the guy served in the Army. He was an Army pilot. Um, he, he, he was a cop, uh, for the LAPD. So Mm -hmm. he knew all about the chain of command. He knew about authority. He knew that you had to respect, um, you know, the captain you, you can't, or the commander, like you couldn't just drop F bombs and, and get away with it. Um, like, you know, like that disrespect was never shown. Like, I mean, in the original series, yeah, McCoy would get emotional and, you know, get mad at Spock and, you know, you green-blooded, inhuman, you know, and, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, but it was usually, like, when tempers were flaring, right? Like, it wasn't, like, just casually, you know, F you, Spock, <laughs> you know. But that's the way it seems to go on on these modern Star Trek shows. Um you know, like like that Admiral, like you know, I know this is Star Trek Picard. That first season of Star Trek Picard, when she tells Picard to shut the fuck up, mm-hmm. I'm like, no Starfleet Admiral would say that. That that was a decent Admiral, and maybe she's a piece of shit Admiral. I don't know, but still, like that wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, it used to be like Star Trek Four. Um, you know, when they when Kirk was saying "double dumbass" on you. And they were talking about the profanity. Like, it was a joke. It was funny at the, in, in that movie. But you never heard it before that, and you didn't hear it afterward. Next Generation, when the Enterprise is going to crash in, in Star Trek Generations, and, and Data says, oh, shit. Like, that got a big laugh in the theater. But yeah. that, was, that was the only time anyone ever said shit. But on Discovery... Yeah, I, remember, I remember that. I remember that getting a huge laugh in the theater. Yeah, but on Discovery, you know, people are saying shit, they're saying fuck, they're saying, you know, talking like, you know, like people would at, you know, in an office, not on the bridge of a starship, not, mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, trained officers that were, you know, spent four years at the academy. Like, they, they just wouldn't talk like that. So that's one of my biggest gripes. But anyway... I digress. Stephanie, your thoughts on mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> um, I don't know if I actually have that many notes to add. I feel like the three of you have really covered most of my thoughts. Um, the only thing that really gets me is part of what I like about the old Trek is the the episodic nature. Like we've mm. talked about this before where you could just you know watch any episode at any point doesn't matter if you watch the one before or after it was fine and i remember sitting down and watching this first episode with my husband and i just had 
this scrunchy face when that first episode finished for so many different reasons that we've already talked about. Yeah. I look over at my husband. He's grinning ear to ear. Let's watch the next one. And I'm like, what? What is wrong with you? <laughs> like, I just, I still can't. Yeah, like, right then and there, I couldn't get past that. It's like, just do it as a normal episode, please. And I think they tried to get there. I don't know. I really, I will say, I do like the diverse characters. I really love that Tilly is the first character, I arguably ever, if I'm wrong on this, please correct me, that really represents neurodivergency. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved that so much. But other than that, there was a lot of it. I just, I couldn't get past the hangups. Maybe it's because I grew up on Star Trek. I don't know. But yeah, that's where my head's at. <laughs> just, All right. Yeah. So the, the next series we're going to talk about is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And I was actually excited about this. Because, like what you just said, Stephanie, that, you know, like it wasn't episode, Discovery wasn't episodic. They said that this show was going to be episodic, that it was going to be, you know, a new planet every week. And it was going to be, you know, like more akin to the original series. And I, and I like Anson Mount as Captain Pike. I like, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, uh, uh, on, who plays uh, number one, um, Jerry O'Connell's wife. Uh, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Romaine, yeah. She, I think she's great as number one. Um, I'm not a fan of the guy uh, The guy who's playing Spock. Um, Ethan Peck. Ethan Peck. Not, not to say I don't like Ethan Peck. I just don't think he's a good Spock. Zachary Quinto... I thought was a perfect guy to, you know, to play a younger Leonard Nimoy, uh, you know, cause he looked very similar and so on and so forth. I, Ethan Peck, I have a hard time buying him as Spock. Um, but that being said, I only made it through, I think two or three episodes and then I just kind of gave up. I'm like, it, it, it's still a chore to watch. Um, one th- and the one thing, I will say about the problem with start modern Star Trek. So I got into a debate a while back with somebody on the internet about Star Trek. And I said, you know, my complaint about Star Trek discovery is it doesn't make sense that this, that the enterprise would be so advanced when the stuff on the original series was not advanced as it is in discovery. And this guy was, you know, talking back and forth with was like, well, what do you want them to do? Do you want them just to recreate the original 60s sets and do, do a Star Trek show like that? I'm like, yeah, actually, that if you're going to do a prequel to Star Trek, the original series, then yeah, do that. And he's like, well, that's just stupid. You know, the special effects are better now, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, there's so much they can do. I'm like, yeah, but it's been established in the Berman... Roddenberry era of Star Trek that the original series is canon. Um, the Next Generation episode Relics, uh, Scotty recreates the the bridge of the original Enterprise on the holodeck on the Enterprise D. On the Enterprise uh, two-parter uh, in Mirror Darkly, 
the the mirror universe episodes in the final season they had the uss defiant from the original series on that show and it was they recreated the bridge the sets of the original enterprise or defiant which were just a redress of the enterprise mm-hmm. um and they had them wearing the those original series uniforms like that was canon <clears throat> i would prefer if discovery went that route but the but the problem with star trek creators and writers is they don't understand the fact that star trek this is not our future this is not our world this is a separate world it's it's different you know in the original series they said there was a world war 3 in the 1990s that didn't happen <laughs> in our world <clears throat> But it did happen in their world. Like, you know, like they had similar history to us, but it was different. Um, That being said, the first episode of Strange New Worlds, you know, Pike is showing footage of the wars that took place on Earth. I I think it was the first episode. Um, He was showing footage to this alien race about, you know, how earth you know we overcame our our differences and stuff and they literally showed footage from the january 6th riots on capitol hill in the Mm -hmm. states they showed footage from that and i'm like no no like this is not our future this is not our you know this is but modern star trek writers don't understand that and honestly that kind of tainted my my view of strange new worlds i'm like you know i i don't want i want star trek to be escapism i want to be able to just sit there watch it and feel like i'm looking at an alien world or an alien you know different story but you know it's an allegory for something i don't need to blatantly see footage of the the riots in washington on my star trek I, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, it's, it's just, it's not meant to be that way. So I, yeah, I checked out immediately. Um, I did like the actor who plays the chief engineer on strange new worlds for the first season. I think he dies in that season. And I mm-hmm. want to say his name was hammer. Yeah. Hammer. Yeah. He's, uh, the white Andorian. Um, oh, what are they called again? But they were in... Sorry, what was that? Oh, uh... Anars! They're Anars. Yeah. So, yeah, they were introduced in the fourth season of of Star Trek Enterprise. And I like that, you know, he, and it's cool, because he he's an actor from Calgary, and he is legally blind. Um... <laughs> So he plays a blind character on the show, which I thought was really cool. I, you know, uh, he's based to me. He's like the Saru of the show. Like I really like that mm-hmm. character. Um, and I, yeah, I actually got to meet him in Falcon. Super nice dude. Like really nice cool. guy. Um, but I, I, I forget his name though. But anyway, um, uh, it is. Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Bruce Horak. Yeah, Horak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super nice guy. Um, but again, not, uh, and I love Anson Mount. I got kind of a, like a boy crush on Anson Mount. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kinda, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, that wasn't enough to keep me invested. 
Like, I just, I couldn't. Um, and I want to be invested. You know, I want Star Trek to be where I can't wait for, for the next episode. And it's just not like that with modern Star Trek. Uh, it's like that with the Orville. Like, when the Orville was putting out new episodes, I couldn't wait for the next episode. I would be excited <laughs> for, you know, they'd release them on Wednesday or Friday or whatever. I'd be like, yay, you know, new, new Orville. Um, but uh, I'm not like that with with modern Star Trek. And it's just the sad state of affairs, I guess. Uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Strange New Worlds? I quite like it on the whole. Um, I've mostly watched just the first season, just started the second season the other night. Mm, okay. Um, despite having like such an like overlap with Discovery, there's a lot of the same characters playing the same roles. Uh, Strange New Worlds to me just feels like viscerally more like Trek than a lot of other modern attempts. Uh, like a lot of the small continuity things don't bother me as much, but it, it feels like it cares about its characters more. It gets the kind of light humor of Star Trek better often than some other modern attempts, I find, other than Lower Decks, which is lovely and has no faults, clearly. <laughs> but I I really like the, yeah, the light humor of it, the characterization. And yes, there's different characterization than it was in the original series from Nurse Chapel and Spock and, and so on and so forth. But I don't mind it that much. It still feels very trek mm-hmm. i really like Emma. i like what they did with the with the gorn and i think on the whole it, it's like what you were talking about stephanie before that that episodic kind of nature of things mm-hmm. where I, I think honestly that episodic versus serialized as a false dichotomy you would have an ongoing plot and still have those bottle episodes still have those characterization bits you can have the the, the overarching plot in the bottle episodes, you can have the characterization in the overarching plot episodes, like in contrast, right? Yeah. And it feels like Strange New Worlds gets the balance a little bit better there than, say, Picard or Discovery or other ones. It, it feels a bit more of that episodic, mm-hmm. found family sort of ensemble cast. And so I, I really liked on the whole, next to Lower Decks, and I, I, to be fair, I haven't seen uh, Prodigy, but next to Lower Decks, it feels the most Star Trekky to me of the modern attempts, despite the, the many continuity differences and characterization differences. So, yeah, on the whole, the, there are faults to it, but I've been enjoying it. Uh, the, the first episode of the second season was hit and miss. There are a lot of things I really liked. There are a lot of things that felt eh, less well-written and more out of place. But on the whole, it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the second season has. Excellent. Um, there there was a rumor floating around prior to, to like, when it was still in the planning stages. Because um, if, if you'll remember, in the Menagerie two-parter, which was they used footage from the original Star Trek pilot where you saw Captain Pike and stuff. The doctor on the Enterprise in those days was Dr. Boyce. Um, he was an older guy. Um, basically, he was like the what originally uh, what Bones became uh, with Kirk. Um, 
but they replaced or the the character's not on Strange New Worlds. They have a different doctor who actually did appear in two episodes of the original series. I I can't remember his the character's name, but he's mm. you know a black guy and and he was a doctor with Doctor McCoy on the Enterprise. So I, I thought that was kind of cool that continuity. But there was a rumor floating around prior to them actually making the show that they were going to get uh, Jeffrey Combs to come in and play Doctor Boyce. And if if you remember Jeffrey Combs, uh, he played Brunt on Deep Space Nine. He played uh, Shran on Enterprise. He played Wei Yun on Deep Space Nine. Um, he originally auditioned for Commander Riker all the way back in 1986 when they were casting for The Next Generation, which is really crazy. I couldn't imagine him playing Riker. Um, no. But... You know, I, if they had actually did that and actually cast him to play Doctor Boyce, I would have watched irregardless. That would have been that would have tipped it over, tipped the balance for me. Like Anson Mount was was pretty close, and then Hammer, I was like, I like this guy, but eh. but if they had, had if they had Jeffrey Combs on that show, I, I'd I'd be watching every week, guaranteed. Um, so I think they missed something there. I wish they would have would have pulled the trigger on that. Um, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on Strange New Worlds? Well, now I'm just thinking about your Combs comment, and I'm like, but he's always a side character. He's never a main core character. I don't know if I could get on board with that. <laughs> just say I'm gonna. I'm that's gonna keep me up tonight. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the beauty thing is, he he's an older guy now, so he would be perfect in that role. That, that's the part that's going to keep me up because now I'm going to have, like, I got some soul searching to do here. So, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I mean, maybe if if they're listening and, you know, because they still got to make season three, right? They do. You know, maybe they might actually do it. Maybe Dr. Boyce comes back and it's Jeffrey Combs. That'd be awesome. That would be. Maybe. Maybe. Again, I got I to gotta put some thought into that. I will come back with a response. Anyways, uh um, yeah, I guess for Strange New Worlds, overall, I'm going to agree with Ray, like, that literally, my as I was writing notes for myself, like, my first line here, I'd say they managed to get the balance right on this one. That is exactly what I wrote for myself, so there you go. Um, I really liked what they did with Pike, like, kind of knowing what's coming, like, when I watched that, it made me stop and think. And that's what I've always enjoyed about Star Trek is those moments where it really makes you stop and think. He also doesn't let it slow him down, I guess, or, you know, like he kind of goes through that slump, but then he gets out of it. And mm -hmm. I really appreciated watching that. Um, I am going to disagree with the perspective on Ethan Peck. I actually have really been enjoying him as Spock. Um, as a band geek, I always listen to things a little bit more than I watch them. And when he spoke as Spock for the first time, that was his inner Leonard Nimoy just channeled. And I absolutely love that. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I really enjoyed, especially the latter half of the second season. There's two episodes in there that are kind of a big deal. And I am fully 100% on board with both of them. So, yeah, like, I I like Stranger Worlds, and I'm very curious to see what they do with the third season. Well, I like I said, I haven't 
like I only watched like the first couple episodes of season one, so maybe it's one I got to sit down and actually give it a, a second chance. You, I hear you've got some time off during the holidays. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, but I got so many other shows I'm so behind on. Like there's a new new season of Reacher I got to watch, and I still got last season of Bosch. That's not until the fifteenth. Well, and and then the Crown, the second part of season, the last season comes out on the fourteenth. Oh jeez! It's like oh, I got so many stuff, so much stuff I got to watch. Plus, I yeah. got you know, I got my honeydew list. And I'm like, ugh, man. Um, but anyway, uh, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Strange New Worlds? Well, I haven't seen it. Um, I've heard anecdotally from people that I, I might like it and that it's worth checking out. And it's on my to-watch list because of the crossover between it and Lower Decks. Mm. Yes. Right. Yeah, I will watch it just, just to appreciate <laughs> so, yeah. That's all, yeah. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right. You're gonna watch, you can watch that crossover episode on its own. Just for the record, I've watched it three times oh, okay. now, and I could go and watch it like another three times, no problem. Okay, cool. Well, I might just do that then. <laughs> yeah. Just just jump to that episode. It's totally worth it. All right. Well, Ragnar, why don't you lead us off with discussing Lower Decks? What are your thoughts on that show? Oh, I freaking love Lower Decks. Um, it... Lower Decks is separate from the the other Star Trek and the other new Star Treks. Mm-hmm. It's it sort of gets lumped in under their umbrella, but it's run by like the showrunner is a different person. It's not Alex Kurtzman. I think he's the executive producer or something, mm-hmm. which basically just means they put his name on it to get it rubber stamped. Yeah. Um. It is the showrunner is clearly somebody who watched Star Trek and loved Star Trek. And Lower Decks is a Star Trek show. It's just a comedy. Mm-hmm. It, it pokes fun at Star Trek, absolutely. And it pokes fun at other things, too. But I wouldn't call it a parody. It's not quite a parody of Star Trek, because it, it has some serious moments. Mm-hmm. And it ties in with the next gen and the original series and with Voyager and with Deep Space Nine, like it, it's in that universe. And so other than it being animated, it was incredible to watch because it, it felt like Star Trek again. It was just funny. So yeah, I, I think it's incredible. And it, uh, I've only watched it once uh, the first three seasons and uh, I can't wait to rewatch them and then watch the newest season, as well as the uh, aforementioned crossover episode, which I also think is incredible that they could totally do that. There's no reason why not. And if that, you know, goes over really well, there's no reason why they couldn't do a live action episode entirely of Lower Decks and have the whole cast show up. Now, some of the voice actors may not look like the characters they play like. The guy who voices Boimler actually kind of looks like Boimler in the show. Mm-hmm. I suspect that the whole cast is not that way, but I, whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's great. I think uh, Chris, you definitely need to watch it. And anybody who likes the next gen Voyager Deep Space Nine should watch it because they'll love it because it's it's funny and it feels like Star Trek, um, but it's you know for a more modern audience. And I think they did a great job of balancing a show that old Star Trek fans would like and new Star Trek or, or just a newer generation wouldn't be turned off by. And it has lots of action. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. I I probably will rewatch it uh, in January and when I have a little bit more time at home. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Excellent. Uh, I still like. I still think for if you want to watch a new Star Trek show, you should watch The Orville. Like I I firmly stand by that. Mm-hmm. But after you've watched The Orville, when you still want more, yeah. then you should watch Lower Decks. Excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, as, as Ragnar alluded to, I haven't watched it yet. Um, it is on my list because Ragnar recommended it, so I will watch it. And and actually, yeah, if you're going to do something different in that way, animation's the way to go because, you know, you know, as much as people, you know, like I know like in the Berman Rodbury era, people, were, you know, used to say that Star Trek, the animated series, was continuity, but I never... I never took it as continuity. Um, mm-hmm. It was just way too different. I mean, not to say it was was bad or anything, but it was just way too different. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely want to check it out. And I and I like the fact that they've brought in actors from other Star Trek shows to voice their characters on the show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a nice touch. And uh, I, I suspect as they keep making more, they're going to just keep doing more and more of that. Yeah. yeah. And and if the show, you know, the show is decently popular and if it continues to be decently popular and they keep making more, they'll get bigger budgets and you'll have more and more famous Star Trek alumni show up in it. Yeah. Excellent. Uh Stephanie, your thoughts on uh, Lower Decks? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm a millennial who loves animated shows and I also love Star Trek. That's mm-hmm. why I'm here. So to have an animated Star Trek that is effectively targeting millennials, like that—that's all I have to say. Like it's amazing. It's hilarious. The tie-ins. You don't necessarily need to have watched other series to still find it entertaining. Like, uh, like it's smart. It's thoughtful. It's—it's it's just everything. I love it so much. Like if the world ends and I have one thing to grab, it's going to be a DVD set of Lower Decks. That's mm. it. <laughs> That's all I need. I'll be fine. <laughs> and yes, I have watched the fourth season. I'm trying so hard not to spoil it because I really don't want to spoil it for you guys. But guys, it is so good. You have to watch it. Please just go watch the fourth season. Oh, so... um is is it your favorite show? Like your favorite Star Trek show? I think show? it is. It's it's up there. Okay. Like I grew up on Voyager, but mm-hmm. I gotta say, Lower Decks. Like, yeah, I've already gone back and rewatched it twice over. So yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to the second pass through because I'll you know I'll catch all the things I missed on the first round because it's right? just it's just stuffed with Easter eggs. Like, it is. Yeah. With them. 
every single time you watch it, you're going to catch something different. And just, yeah, like the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is good. And then the second time, it's kind of like, you know, we're talking about the Abrams Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You watch it the first time, you're like, okay, I can accept this. And then you watch it the second time, you're like, oh, this is actually kind of disappointing. Lower Decks was the opposite. It was like, oh, this was good writing. I enjoyed this. And then you watch it that second time and you catch all the little details. And it's just like, wow, this was amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Ray, what what are your thoughts on Lower Decks? (laughs) Oh, lower decks. Hmm. I yeah. No. No. I sorry. I can't even pretend. I love lower decks. I just unabashedly love lower mm-hmm. decks. It is one of my favorite series ever. When I am feeling down and depressed, I go rewatch some. I I adore it. It actually cares about its characters and its place within Star Trek. And like Stephanie, you were mentioning the fourth season here, which I think is. A, great instance of that where it actually cares about character development and its place and its connections in some established Star Trek plot lines yeah. in just such a thoughtful way often and it it really truly gets what matters about Star Trek and you can just see the love for Trek that is put into that show like it just so mm-hmm. earnestly loves Trek while still not while still like not being afraid to take the piss out of Star Trek because it gets what's hilarious and silly about Star Trek and then lovingly puts that in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so wonderful. I've got so many favorite episodes from it. And there's, there's this one bit, it's not necessarily my favorite bit, but there's this one point in second season. I think it's Keishon, his eyes open, which again, yes. <laughs> the very, I, I, I okay. love that episode on so many levels, but one of the smaller like bits of it, as there's this, Boimler does this very impassioned speech about just being in love with the kind of boring aspects of Star Trek. Oh my gosh, yes, that is exactly, I was just going to circle back to that. Yes, that. About, like, yeah, going out there and being really excited about plants on strange planets and bridge crew concerts and all the, all yes. the dorky stuff and just that earnest love for it that it has, that unabashed, unironic love for it. Yep. And there's just and it's it's just so lovingly put together and it's it's also hilarious like it has me laughing straight through but in a way that feels very true to Trek. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I get really I get almost evangelistic about this series. Me too. <laughs> I I love it so much and it just viscerally feels like it understands Trek. Yes. Well, you know, like. Ragnar's been telling me for like two years I got to watch this show, and I've been putting it off because he's the only one that's been saying this to me. But now I'm hearing it from three people now. Now it's like okay, I guess you know. Not that I didn't trust Ragnar before. It's just you know I think I might I might be bumping it up on my list of of things to watch. It's so much fun, and it just it gets the spirit of Star Trek. It's hilarious. Its characters actually have a chance to grow as people. It, yeah, yeah. it's just it's the best, and it really Excellent. does care about its place within Star Trek. And like you guys have mentioned, the all the cameos and all the other actors who can show up and how it can in animated form because it's it's cheaper. It doesn't matter if people age. It can really engage in various plot lines and and extent like fixed points in the universe. Yeah. Excellent. 
Um, all right. Well, I don't know if anyone's watched Star Trek Prodigy. I have not watched it, so I can't speak to it. Um, Stephanie, you said you had, right? I did, yes. All right, Stephanie, uh, what, what are your thoughts? Well, so I started watching it with my kid because it like they specifically teamed up with Nickelodeon. I'm like, hey, cool, I've got a five-year-old. Let's do it. It was too slow-paced for her, but mm. it was perfect for me. Um, so I went on and watched it without her. I'm like, okay, fine, you go watch Paw Patrol. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it if I had to describe to somebody who hasn't seen it, I would say Breakfast Club meets Voyager meets Clone Wars. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a uh, weird cut. Yeah, like it's that very like three dimensional CGI from Clone Wars, but mm-hmm. uh, it's futuristic Voyager. And then I don't even remember the other thing I said in there. But Bre- yeah, Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah, the Breakfast Club. So yeah, it's like this hodgepodge of like Delta Quadrant aliens that all end up, and they're all kids, of course. So they end up like coming together under the like Janeway ECH. And I enjoyed the, it's kind of like that Y7. So it's not like, you're not getting the swears. You're not getting the graphics and stuff, which like, I'm not a fan of swearing in Star Trek. It's not necessary. So I like that there's, depth to the stories they do some really awesome tos tie-ins which i absolutely adore it's definitely worth going and watching just to say that you've watched it and i think it's the only one that's going to be on netflix and the second season is going to be on netflix specifically okay there you go Hmm. yeah so i mean i would i'd give it a chance especially like you've got grandkids give it a chance yeah, I guess I could try. You know, like I, I watch a lot of Miss Rachel, so I believe that. I very much believe that. <laughs> well, the thing with Miss Rachel is, you know, like, like it, it's amazing what she does, like in terms of you know teaching kids, because um, it's amazing. Like my granddaughter, she's only a year and a half, and yet she's saying things that she learns from Miss Rachel. And she's and she's learning some of the sign language and stuff, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking towards getting her to watch other stuff sometimes. Um, you know, we put SpongeBob on. She likes SpongeBob, but I, I you know, I like SpongeBob. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I love SpongeBob. You know, like my kids watch yeah. SpongeBob and. But I would like, yeah, if I could get her into watching Prodigy, yeah, that might be a good yeah. thing. Um, the first bit is a bit slow, but once you get over because they really do want to, like, set up the characters and the ship and yada yada. So okay. once you get to that part, though, it the pace definitely does quicken. Um, you might have to wait till she's a little older for it to actually, like, fully hold her attention, though. So oh, okay. just be prepared for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like I said, I got a whole list of shows I still got to watch, so it, it'll it'll come up one of these days. Yeah. Um, uh, Ray and Ragnar, did either of you have anything to add to Prodigy? I hope to watch it soon. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next one is Star Trek Picard. Um, so I I'll go first, I guess. Um. 
yeah, season one and two, I did not like. I think, honestly, I think season two of Picard might be the worst season of Star Trek ever made, to be honest with you. I did not like season two at all. Um, yeah, it was pretty terrible. I mean, John, having John Delancey back as Q, I was a big fan for that because I love John Delancey. Uh, so I think he's only in like a total of like ten minutes of the whole season. So, um, like, I'll watch a YouTube clip of a uh, YouTube video of just his scenes from that season, and that's fine with me. Um, but season three of Picard is actually when it kind of gets back to. Well, season season three. Sorry to interrupt. Season three is what we all wanted. Season yes. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And even Patrick Stewart, because he is an executive producer, and basically the only reason that Star Trek Picard exists is because he agreed to do it. Like, if he hadn't agreed, there would be no Star Trek Picard, obviously. Yeah. Um, so to get him back he wanted to say, and one of the things that he said is, I don't want this to be a TNG reunion. I want it to be a show about Picard. Um, So that's why, you know, it wasn't a TNG reunion and it was disappointing. You know, those first couple seasons, I, you know, I used to say, like, I used to tell people when they would ask about it, I'd say every episode, someone gets murdered. Like that's every episode. Like, really, if you watch every episode, whether it's a red shirt or whether it's a a guest character or whatever, somebody dies on Star Trek Picard those first couple seasons. Especially that that episode where they brought Seven of Nine back and and they're torturing Icheb from Voyager. And it's like, am I watching, you know, I just, I remember watching that. And that's really when I, like, I kept, I kept, you know, hoping the show would get better. But when that episode, I think it was episode four or five of season one, and it starts out with, you know, these people torturing him and they're pulling out his eye and stuff, his, like, poor guy, and it, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is am I watching a Saw movie? Like, what is going on here? Like, this is, mm-hmm. like, like, not to say that bad stuff doesn't happen in the Star Trek universe, because it does. As I mentioned, there was a World War Three in the 1990s in that universe, um, you know, there's the Cardassian War, um, you know, Chief O'Brien, you know, killed the Cardassian. Like, he talks about that. Bad things happen, but they don't generally show it on, on the, on Star Trek. Right. So that, so for me, seeing that scene, you know, and, it, and like, Echeb wasn't like a character that I, because I didn't really watch the last few seasons of Voyager. Like, I knew who he was as a character, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't like emotionally attached to him or anything, but even me not being emotionally attached to this character found it troublesome that they did that to this character, even though it was a different actor playing the character, I still knew that was the character. And, you know, seeing this kind of torture taking place in the future really bothered me. Um, and, and that I think really speaks to like Star Trek Picard. Um, you know, season two, like when they're that, I forget what episode it was, but you know, some, some random person gets murdered and, and, uh, by the Borg queen chick, not, not the Borg queen, but 
what's her name? Um, Agnes, sir. Agnes, yeah. yeah. And then everyone just acts like it's no big deal. Like, like literally, like, I forget what scene it was. It was one, it's the one where she was eating the car batteries. Mm-hmm. And then she fights Raffi and, and Seven of Nine. And then they sit there and have a talk. Raffi and, and Seven of Nine are talking about their feelings and stuff and all that. Meanwhile, there's like a dead body. Like someone literally got murdered. And, it, you know, this person's just like, I don't know, 10 yards away from them while they're having this in-depth, per, you know, conversation amongst themselves. It's like, guys, you know, maybe go Read check. the room. <laughs> well, e- either that or maybe go check on, you know, maybe the guy isn't actually dead. Maybe he can be saved, you know, like, but they just, they don't think of that, like, on, on the show. Like, life has no meaning, like. In Star Trek, life is, should be precious. It's something to, that you know uh, you want you know want to protect. But on Picard, it just feels like it just went out the window. Like you know, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, or maybe I'm embellishing a little bit. I don't think I am, but maybe some people might think. But that's how I describe it. I'm like every episode, someone gets murdered. You know, even in season three, when Worf cut that Ferengi Ferengi guy's head off. I, I had a big problem with that because it's like Worf said in the next generation a, a true Klingon warrior faces his enemy head, you know face to face but in that scene he snuck up behind the guy and cut his head off that's not Worf like Worf wouldn't have done that so I had a, I had a big problem with that but that being said season three they had a different showrunner, Terry Metalis, and he you could tell he was a Star Trek fan. And he did do better. Like, season three, it got better. It definitely got better. And I will say that the the penultimate episode, when, you, when they... Spoilers. When they step back onto the bridge of the Enterprise D, I, like, my jaw hit the floor. Like, I... I and, and they lit the bridge... And the lights turned on, and it actually lit up like it did in the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And then they bring it out of space. Like, like I w- like this is the first time in modern Star Trek when I actually finished the episode, and then I watched it immediately right after. Like I rewatched it because I was just so happy and so blown away. Like honestly, that is a contender for best scene of the year was that last four minutes of that episode when they step onto the bridge and Picard, you know, tells the crew, you know, you know, I, I hate to ask this of you again, but, you know, and then Riker, you know, we're the crew of the U.S.'s Enterprise and we're your family and they all take their stations and you hear Majel Barrett's computer voice, you know, saying, mm-hmm. you know, the U.S.'s mm-hmm. Enterprise is now under command of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so awesome. And even like the fun, the last episode, like I I liked it. I, I thought they did a great job, you know. Um the only complaint is I wish they would have like maybe mentioned Janeway or Voyager a little bit more. Because yeah. they're mm-hmm. the they're the reason why the Borg is in the state they're in, right? Because Admiral Janeway put that virus in the Borg collective. Mm-hmm. Um but for some reason, the queen is like fixated on Picard and not Janeway. So I, you know, I was kind of expecting Janeway to show up at some point, uh, but she didn't. Unfortunately, it was nice to see Tuvok though. 
Like I was glad mm-hmm. I, I thought that was awesome. They brought Tuvok back, but yeah, season three, I, you know, for people that haven't seen the first two seasons of Picard, I just say, just watch season three. It's not yeah. perfect. I do have some problems with some of the things that happened. Like I said, with Worf killing that guy the way he did. Um, but for the most part, I was really happy with it. I was, I was, like I said, that last four minutes of the second last episode, I was like a little kid. I, I really felt like I was, you know, like this is next generation. We're back, baby. Like this is, and, and I didn't even see it coming. Like, that's the thing. Like I thought at some point we're going to see the enterprise E because it's like where, you know, what happened to it? Like we're, it's going to show up. Like I kind of was expecting that. I was not expecting the D. That kind of floored me, but yet it made perfect sense that you would bring the the crew together. And wh- who's the last member of the crew? It's the Enterprise itself. Mm-hmm. It was it was just fantastic. All right, now that I've gushed enough, uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Picard? So. Patchy, honestly, like it, like you said, Chris, that I, I, I really want to enjoy Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily enjoy it completely uncritically, but I, I truly always want to enjoy Star Trek. This, this pure, earnest part of me, and if you can just get out of my way, I will enjoy it. And it just seems like a lot of the modern Star Trek just really wants to get in my way of enjoying Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. And like, I enjoyed Discovery a little bit more after the end of season two, where they gave you some, okay, plausible deniability reasons for why mm-hmm. Burton was aware there, why that tech was there, why we hadn't heard about them. And they weren't necessarily good reasons, but my brain could be like, okay, fine. Yeah. Good. Sorted. And so I don't think Picard as, as a season or as a, as a show like it just has so many faults and don't I don't want to say that I didn't enjoy it because I don't think that I have it in me to not enjoy Patrick Stewart playing Picard. Like I some part of me just has to love this. But I mean the seasons were very weirdly disjointed. Mm-hmm. Like they all had they knew going in they had three seasons. Each season was very big on a theme and yet they were all so disconnected, especially mm-hmm. the two work plot lines. And I really think that, well, I like, you know, I think there needs to be a balance between overarching plot concerns and episodic concerns. And maybe it's just how modern TV has trained me. It just seems like there was a lot, like a missed opportunity to connect the three. Mm-hmm. The, the latter two, in, in especially, kind of seemed like it was Patrick Stewart working through some personal stuff. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that really landed well. I really enjoyed the third season, though, too. Um, I think a lot of it was fan service. I'm a fan. I enjoyed being serviced. There's no, like, <laughs> yes. yes. This is, yeah, like, I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I really think that I really like seeing some smaller characters or non-TNG characters there again, like Seven Nine, Tuvok, Wesley. But even more than that, like Hugh and Ro Lauren, where mm-hmm. whether or not I agreed with what they did with them, there was at least a kind of an end to those stories. Mm-hmm. And so... That was really nice. Um, I didn't at all buy the actor who played Jack Crusher as a 22-year-old. Yeah. yeah no. Just oh. silly. Yeah. That was ridiculous. Um, what else? I think 
the love stories throughout it, especially there's one with Rios in the in the second uh, season mm-hmm. that just seemed. Well, I think it's like a lot of romantic plot lines in the more you know serialized TV shows that we have nowadays, where okay, we've got ten to twelve episodes, not twenty some, and everything just feels so planned out that it doesn't feel like the character like this doesn't resonate. We're told they love them because reasons after 24 hours, and then they can make big, big decisions based on this. And it feels implausible. It doesn't feel, I don't feel anything with those storylines. They feel very rote. They feel very pre-planned in a way that doesn't ring true to anything like people existing. (laughs) And so I, I just found those really, I don't know that they felt flat for me. They didn't feel like they were organic in any way. They didn't feel like they were earned. Um, what else? I found it really weirdly disheartening how all the characters, like all the main TNG characters had lost touch with each other. Like, yeah, that, that happens in real life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, friendships come and go. Not everyone is, you know, a dear friend throughout all your life. But none of the characters seemed to have maintained any meaningful relationship with one another. They didn't recognize mm-hmm. each other's kids. They clearly weren't there for each other during hard times. Like, they couldn't have had... Uh, sure, Beverly was off, and that's been established. Fine. Couldn't the rest of them have had, like, a monthly VR distance poker game or something? Yes. It just <laughs> really bummed me out. And I wasn't expecting that, but I just found it so disheartening how none of them seemed to have meaningfully kept in each other's lives except for once a decade, apparently, having a drink with each other or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... I, I enjoyed it despite its so many flaws, but oh my God, there were so many flaws and it, it just seemed like they could have done so much more with what they had there. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And it, everything just felt sloppy and rushed and disconnected and there because it was predetermined in the plot, not because it made sense. I, I enjoyed seeing Q again. I, I, I liked so many small bits, but it didn't add up to any whole that made sense. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I will say, um, and I, I've mentioned this before, um, not not with you guys, but with uh, on another podcast, I find like when Next Generation ended and they did the last movie, the book series, like pocket books, um, whatever they're called now, they did a really good job of maintaining continuity going forward, like telling the further adventures of Captain Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, cause in the book continuity, which ended, I want to say in 2019, I think, um, something like that, maybe it was 2021, but anyway, um, in the book continuity following Star Trek nemesis, like Worf stayed on as Picard's first officer, um, and Picard stayed as captain. He never took a promotion to Admiral. And he, you know, he captained the Enterprise. Worf was his number one. Um, Geordi stayed on as chief engineer of the Enterprise. Dr. Crusher and, and Picard actually got into a relationship and got married. And then she ended up leaving and became the chief medical officer of Deep Space Nine which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But, 
you know, Riker, he went on to command the Titan, and then he became an admiral, and then there was this interesting dynamic where, where Riker would be the admiral giving Picard his orders, and Picard Ooh. Picard would have to follow his orders. You know, I, I just, I thought that was neat. I, you know, the book continuity was really interesting. And it, it just kind of made me sad that they just kind of discarded that and ignored that and did their own thing. And it's kind of like what they did with the Star Wars sequels. Because they had this awesome book continuity that took place after Return of the Jedi. And then when they when J.J. Abrams decided to make these, or when Kathleen Kennedy decided to make these movies and got J.J. Abrams on board, they just discarded that book continuity completely, which was a mistake. And now they're trying to rectify that by bringing elements in. Like now we see Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is... It's a little, little too little too late. Like he should have been the bad guy in the sequel trilogy, but he wasn't. Um, and like the book, Star Trek book series, like they did such a better job of of telling the backstory of what happened. And yeah, like you're saying, uh, Ray, they like those TNG characters. They kept in touch. Like they had mm -hmm. interactions and stuff over the you know the twenty some years. Um, and then, like it might not be realistic that all of them stay, you know, in close in close contact. That's fine. It's just yeah. none of them. And also, I, I entirely agree with you. It, just as a side note to interrupt there because it's going to stick at me. One of the things I hate most, and this isn't logical, it isn't sensible. One of the things that I hate most about the new Star Star Wars movies is that they undid my like the Young Jedi Knights timeline. And, yeah, and that hurts. Yeah, no, I I hear you. Yeah, and some of those Star Wars novels were fantastic, like the Timothy Zahn stuff especially, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was so good, and like they should have just adapted those movies. They would have had to change some stuff, because the Thrawn trilogy book series takes place five years after Return of the Jedi, but you could easily say it's 30 years later, and it would have been amazing, it would have been awesome, but no, they thought they could do better, and I think that's what happened with... Star Trek Picard is Patrick Stewart and, and the Alex Kurtzman and all them were like, oh, we could, you know, we could tell a better story. So we're just going to ignore what they did in the books. And and then, yeah, we end up with, yeah, like like you were saying, Ray, like the fact that they didn't kept keep in touch, like that did bug me. It, it did. And it, it was always kind of there. And it just, you know, like, yeah, I realize in real life, like, you know, like there's some friends that, like people I used to hang out with 20 years ago that I don't really hang out with anymore. And uh, maybe I, you know, it, I run into them every so often, like at the grocery store or like at the mall or something. Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, you have that. But I just felt like with the T and G crew, like they would never be like that. Like in some way they would stay in touch. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Picard? Well, I mean, you guys have summed up most of it already. Um, it's not the show I wanted, and I don't think they did a good job of being what they wanted to bring to life. Mm -hmm. um, the writing is fucking terrible. Um, it, you know, Picard becomes this weak old man... Sometimes, but other times he's not. He's very inconsistent. And 
most of the new characters aren't very good. And it just, like, Star Trek was supposed to be a, a sort of more of a utopia. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this particular series is very dystopian. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Federation is bad. Um, the universe is doing poorly. It just, there's so many other stories they could have told. And, and, you know, if, if, if Patrick Stewart said, I'm interested in doing a Picard series that's about Picard at, you know, as an old man after the events of next gen, and I don't want to do a next gen reboot, there are still a billion cool stories they could have done. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could have taken elements from this and made an amazing series out of it. Like you could have had the Federation is evil because they're all shapeshifters and, and gone with that plot line from season three. And Picard realizes that the future has become a dystopia and has to has to change it. Mm-hmm. And everybody hates him because he's been framed for something like you could have done a great story with with those elements. But they didn't do that. And said they had this season one, they had this weird subplot about Data's children, which didn't make any friggin' sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Romulans that, or, or Vulcans that looked like Romulan. Like it was all very, very confusing. And then you brought back elements and, and not other elements, and oh, it was a hot mess. So I didn't even watch season two. Season one turned me off almost immediately mm-hmm. uh, when I realized, oh, this is going to be all these stupid new characters that I don't care about because they're not well written in a story that doesn't make sense with a doddering old man. Like it just, yeah. You could have presented the story that way. You could have said, you know, John Luke Picard has Alzheimer's, but he's occasionally has touches of his old self, and that could have been an interesting story too. That would be very interesting. Yeah, they didn't really go that route, but it kind of feels like that's what was going on at times. And even in season three, when they tried to fix some of the problems, they still he still was kind of a background character in his own show, Mm -hmm. and and didn't really solve all his own problems or do all his own heavy lifting. Um, So season three was the best season. I would certainly tell any next-gen fans if they wanted to watch it, and I wouldn't necessarily even recommend it, but if you wanted to watch it, don't watch season one and two. Just go straight to season three. Yeah. You'll figure out the little bits that you need to. Um, And my biggest complaint about the writing with season three specifically was the character of Worf. Worf would never be a spy assassin. It just doesn't make sense for his character. It's way too dishonorable of work. Mm-hmm. Worf could be an assassin if it was, I'm getting revenge on the person who killed Jed Zia. Yeah, totally. Worf could be an assassin if somebody murdered my son and I'm going to get revenge. Cool. But like, Worf as a spy slash assassin, it doesn't make sense. It's way too dishonorable for him. And Worf is never presented as a character that's intelligent enough to work for Section 31. Yeah, the one... So that doesn't make sense either. What I was waiting for, and I totally think this was a missed opportunity, is I was expecting that Worf 
the whole reason why he was doing this was because he was actually working for Dr. Bashir, who was going to be the new head of Section 31. Yeah. That, mm. I, that's what I, I was waiting that for that. That's a missed opportunity, and that would have been an awesome little bit of fan service. Yep. But even then, Worf wouldn't be a spy slash assassin. He yep. just... It's all wrong for his character. He would never do that. You need to give me a seriously long backstory on what dark paths Worf went down that led him to there, because it doesn't make sense. And then you've got, the you know, the first time you see him, he chops off this Ferengi's head, and then later he's all like, now I drink tea and, and study I'm a poetry, yeah. and I'm, an, I'm a Buddhist, and it's just like... You literally just chopped a dude's head off. Like yeah. it just it was horrible writing. Yeah. And I I think they were just trying to make war fun. And 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 I there's lots of ways you could do that. They did that in the old show in the old movies. There's lots of times. I hated it. Worf is one of my favorite characters and I, I just thought it made no sense. And it was and it was terrible. Uh and then they also mucked up Jordy. They made him kind of like a coward, and I'm like, since when is Jordy cowardly? Like mm. that didn't make any sense. That drove me nuts. Um, so it's it, it's all the same problem. It's just really bad writing. It, it's a showrunner who's really arrogant and wants to do his own thing, and then shoehorns ideas from other projects into the Star Trek universe, and it's hiring writers that don't like and appreciate star trek yeah so yeah you know, i'm gonna gonna do a comparison here the new star star wars movies the jj abrams ones and so on they friggin' sucked mm. everybody knows it even even if there's characters and elements you like they sucked but then when the mandalorian came out especially seasons one and two mm-hmm. everybody loved it because it felt like Star Wars, because it was written and created by people that love Star Wars. And so that's what happened here with Picard, is that it went wrong because they didn't bring in people that were passionate about Star Trek. They wanted to do something completely different and just call it Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think that that was a mistake. And I think that, you know, they squandered a lot of great opportunities here. Yeah. Well, like with season three of Picard, like they had Terry Metalis as the showrunner, but he still had to answer to Alex Kurtzman. So like it got better because he was a Star Trek fan, but he still had to answer to his yeah. boss. And also he's so you know he's coming in and going yeah I have I have to make this connect to the other two seasons yeah exactly and so yeah. he can only take it so far he can only yeah. fix things so far you know. So yep. he had a he had a really tough job, and I think, given the position he was in, he did an, a very good job. Yeah. And if they brought that guy in as the showrunner for season one, we might have had a great show that yep. they would still be making seasons of that we would all be just losing our minds over, instead of being like, yeah, I watched season one, it sucked. I didn't watch season two. I reluctantly watched season three. I liked it a lot more. It's still not amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And it could have been. It could have been amazing. It had, they had the budget. They had the elements, but yeah. it just, it was good, but it wasn't great. Definitely a lot of missed opportunities. I, mm-hmm. like I said, I associate this show 
with the J.J. Abrams universe. Like, yeah. I like I don't think this is... The, the TNG future is, like I said, best... If you want to, you, yeah. you know, your characters portrayed lovingly and in a real... In what I would say realistic way, read the books. Because yeah. they did a far mm-hmm. better job than... than than Picard. This is, yeah. yeah, this is like an alternate version. And I, I mean, I knew like Star Trek Picard season one, like I knew within 10 minutes, not even like five minutes. And I knew this isn't going to be what I want. Mm-hmm. And I watched all of season one and you know, there were cool moments. So like the episode where he finally reunites with Riker and Troy, that's the best episode of season one even though all they do is cook pizza and, and hang out, but it's still a great episode. And it was, you know, it's cool to have things like, oh, Seven of Nine's back. Like, that's super cool. But what about all the other characters? Like, if you're going to bring in characters from Voyager, why don't you bring in some from DS9 too? And why don't you bring in some more people from Voyager? Like, oh, just Seven of Nine. Oh, cool. But why only her? Why not more? If I think we talked about that last episode. Yeah. They, had a, they certainly had a missed opportunity to bring in Janeway. There's many times they could have had Admiral mm-hmm. Janeway show up. Mm-hmm. Hell, she could have been the one chewing out Picard in in season one. You know, she wouldn't have dropped an f bomb, but she could have been the admiral chewing him out. That would have been just fine. <laughs> Those two probably would have had a really great on screen chemistry too. What, which which they did because they only like they did a scene in Nemesis together, like where yeah. he's talking to her as an admiral. That's but, right. But, yeah, like they definitely, yeah, de- missed opportunities. That's yeah, a lot of, lot of missed opportunities. Um, but, you know, season three is, is, is watchable. It's just not as good as it should have or could have been. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Picard? Uh, you mean what we haven't already discussed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been... Thinking as I've been listening and interjecting, I keep thinking back to this theme of nostalgia because I think we can agree that what did you call it earlier? Like the first forty, like the Roddenberry Burnham mm-hmm. Star Trek. That's that is always going to be the core of Star Trek. I don't think there's mm-hmm. any denying that, right? So I find it kind of interesting. Was it Patrick Stewart who said that? I'm just trying to remember this correctly. So he didn't want it to be like a TNG reunion. Yeah. But the episodes and the bits, like even as you're saying, like when they all get back together, finally on the Enterprise D, how like, wow, that was awesome. And I agree. Like I goosebumps watching that. Same with like Wrecker and Troy and Picard getting together in the pizza scene. Like that Mm -hmm. was the same thing. Like I had goosebumps that whole time. But those are the most... It's all in, it's relying on the nostalgia from TNG yeah. without incorporating any new elements. Whereas if we're talking like Lower Decks, for example, they're tapping into the nostalgia with the focus on all the new characters. So it's kind of like Picard got it backwards. And I think that's mm-hmm. the part that doesn't really sit. So that's the only extra thing I have to add that hasn't already been. And it's dark. It's very visually mm-hmm. dark. And maybe I'm older than I actually am, but the visually dark shows really bother me. That's part of why I like Strange New Worlds. It's quite bright. Same with Lower Decks. It's quite bright. 
Picard is really dark. Like, I was squinting and being like, hey, what's going on? Turn on the lights. Like, what the hell? I don't get it, right? That's a good point. That is a good observation. Yeah, like, the visually dark, but also, like, the storyline dark, too. Like, there doesn't need to be swearing in Star Trek. You just need to have a... Like, don't swear to cover up your bad storyline. Just say it. Yeah, just to, to add... Like it's it's fascinating that you mentioned the lighting part because I completely agree. One of the reasons why, like uh, like taking Next Generation for example, why it's so well lit mm-hmm. is because you know when you do a TV show, you only have like six days to do the filming. You want to get it done in five, but it it could take six, and then you got to like get the episode done and then you're moving on to the next episodes one of the tricks that they used to use was the lighting you want to have Mm -hmm. as much light on as possible so you don't create shadows so it doesn't like so if you do cuts you know you nothing will look out of place it'll it'll look kind of seamless right um so that's why like tng was so well lit and then when we saw star trek generations it was a lot darker because you know, they had the time where they could do the lighting differently and make it look, you know, more aesthetically pleasing to, you know, to some people, I guess. Um, but I, I miss the brightness of, of the the TNG Enterprise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, like I said, like when the, when they, when Jordy says computer lights and then the lights come on and then they eventually like illuminates completely. It was like, yes this is what I've been missing. Like, I just love it. And, you know, even on the Titan or, you know, slash Enterprise G, whatever you want to call it, it's too dark. Like, it fe- it feels, mm-hmm. you know, it, does, it, it feels like you're on a submarine. And I love that line in that second last episode where Picard says, you know, I, I realized what I've missed the most. And then he's, the carpet. And it's like, yeah. yes, I've missed that too. You know, like, I... <laughs> You know, like, I I just, Star Trek should feel, like, TNG always felt homey, and and I, I mm-hmm. and until that moment, it, it was missing. Um, and I think that was their, their way of not, like, Terry Metalis saying, like, I get it, you know, but now here we are, you know, I've been missing this too. Um, but, okay, so we got one last show to talk about before we call this an episode and this isn't even a star trek show but it's been mentioned many times just in this episode alone um and that is the orville and i call it a non-star trek star trek show um so the story goes uh you know apparently before star trek discovery seth mcfarlane uh approached paramount saying he wanted to do a star trek show uh and he came up with a proposal and they shot it down um because you know they associate seth mcfarland with family guy he's a funny man that blah 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 he can't do star trek um also because jj abrams uh you know bad robot slash secret hideout was running star trek now it was you know they were the ones that were basically 
licensed to petition or uh, licensed to make a new show. Um, so Seth MacFarlane was like, okay, well, I'm going to make my own Star Trek show. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and he did it better than them. He did. Um, mm-hmm. Because he loved, you know, like I said, like you go on the Orville, it does feel like it's well lit, it's well illuminated, like we were talking about, just like TNG was. They have carpet on their ship, just like TNG did. Their mm-hmm. uni- their uniforms are amazing. I honestly, I think they're better than Star Trek. You know, I love yeah. I love the colors of the Orville uniforms and the, the their design. I I think it's just fantastic. They you know they have the the TNG you know touch screen uh, computer interfaces and stuff. You know, just like you know it. He he you. Seth MacFarlane is a Star Trek fan. He's said he's a Star Trek fan, in particular a TNG fan. You know, he did a Family Guy episode, which was actually the first reunion of the TNG cast in a project um, when when he had them come on Family Guy. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, that was the first reunion that they did in something, you know, whether it be a convention or a movie, whatever. That was the first time they were all together on, on a project. And it was so good. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It was funny. Um, and, of course, he's friends with Patrick Stewart, and Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. uh, does a voice on American Dad. Um, and he's done guest appearances on Family Guy as well. Um, and he, you know, he wanted to do it in the style of TNG. Like, yes, there is... CGI special effects, but a lot of it is just practical special effects. Like when you see the Orville do the flyby, you know, the camera, that's actually a model that they actually filmed the way they used to film the Enterprise D. Mm. Um, and I, and you can tell, like you can just tell, like that's a real model, like that's not a computer model. Like in in some of the space battles and stuff when they're when they're battling the the is it the Kalons? Yeah. Um, that's CGI, obviously, but you know, when you, when they do the close-ups and the flybys, like that's a model, like that's, it's so awesome. Um, and again, you know, like they are telling in, in the tradition of Star Trek, they're telling stories that are relevant to today, but they're doing it in a sci-fi context. So you can watch those episodes and, and be like, you know, oh, they, that's just an alien society. But no, it's at, they're actually speaking to what we're going through. Um, some are a little bit more obvious, like like the the episode where they go to that planet where, um, you know, everyone's on their cell phones, and then you can get voted, and then you have to get killed. You know. Oh, I was so, just so, watching that yesterday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> like, like, like that's a little obvious what they're going there. But, On the nose. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but then they also do like, like, um, with Bordas and um, oh, what's his husband's Biden. name? Yeah, when they had their child and uh, it, it was a girl, you know, and they had to basically do the gender reassignment to a boy. Like, I mean, that does happen. And then when he got older and decides, no, I'm I'm a girl, you know, like that is th- those are topics that are happening in today's society, but they do, they, but they tell them in a sci-fi context where 
they're not beating you over the head with with a message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 leave it to you to draw your own conclusions. Like, I mean, obviously, the character draws their conclusion, but you, the viewer, whether you agree or disagree with with what they decided, that's up to you. Like, they don't tell you what you need to think, mm-hmm. which I think is a failing yeah. with, with modern Star and Trek. And, and they don't seem to be doing that. That you know, look at us, look how progressive we are. Thing. Yeah. No, it's just the way it is in the future. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Like it should yeah. be like, oh, you know, look at look at us. We're so diverse. No, it's just diversity's everywhere. You know, like it's just yeah. They're just going through their their days. Um, and yeah, in the in their I will say in the earlier episodes because it was Seth MacFarlane and he was it was being done on Fox. They wanted a certain sense of humor and stuff, right? So the first few episodes, there's definitely the, you know, the goofiness that you would associate with a Seth MacFarlane project. But as it progressed, you saw that less and less. And it's because, like, he had to sell it, you know, because it was 20th Century Fox. And and they they were like, well, we, you know, I think he pitched it to them as a, a, a Star Trek spoof. And they're like, yeah, that's great. So he did that to sell it so he could get it made. But then eventually he, he kind of uh, uh, backed off a little yeah. bit. And, and yeah, every every season gets a little bit more dramatic. And by the final season, there are there are entire episodes that barely have a joke in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, and I mean, it's not not to say that there isn't humor and 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 all that kind of stuff. It's still there, but they're not going for the you know the the obvious jokes, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little bit more organic as they go forward, but you know, he had to get it on the air and I'm glad he did. And also, um, John Favreau, he directed the first episode and I think he helped develop the show. He might've been a producer too. Yeah. I think he's listed as an executive producer. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the same guy that brought us the Iron Man movies. This is the guy that brought us the Mandalorian. So Yeah. Like this, is, it, it was just an awesome combination, and also Brandon Braga, who was an executive producer on Voyager and one of the co-creators of Enterprise. He was he's involved in the show, so you know, like, so I mean, his roots go all the way back to TNG. Like he co-wrote mm-hmm. the first two TNG movies. He wrote some of the you know TNG episodes before he went on to Voyager. Um, so there's definitely good Star Trek influence there. Plus, I mean, you got guest appearances. You got Robert Picardo showing up. You had John John Billingsley, who played Phlox. He shows up. Um, You know, it's, you know. Marina Sirtis shows up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, She's a, she's, she shows up at the end of season two as the new school teacher. (coughs) Right, right. There's a big gap between seasons two and three. And season three was done by Hulu, not Fox, and yeah, yeah. they just didn't bring her character back for season three. Whether yeah. that was because she didn't want to do it, or she was busy, or they just—I don't know—just decided they didn't need a teacher for those episodes. I, I don't know. Yeah, but, and but season two, it looked like they were setting her up to be a series regular, and then that didn't quite happen. But and um, I loved Ted Danson as an admiral, and I loved the. Yeah. the his, yes. char- his character's plot twist. 
I thought that was fantastic there in season three. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. The guy who plays Admiral Halsey. Um, yeah, he's in loads of stuff. Yeah, he was on Alias. He's on Titanic, the movie. Uh, he was on the first few seasons of uh, the the in the Flash universe show. Um, I can't remember what that was called. Uh, it's uh, Victor Garber, isn't it? Victor Garber, yes, great Canadian actor. Yeah. I, I apologize, Victor Garber, for forgetting your name, but yeah, I loved every time Halsey shows up, and then Kelly, who also played an admiral, I had yeah. a big crush on her. Back when X Men Two came out, because she plays Lady Deathstrike uh, in X Men Two, uh, yeah. so beautiful. And now she's still beautiful, uh, amazing. Um, and then, the, yeah, in the third season, they had Bruce Boxleitner show up as the president of of the union. Yeah, mm-hmm. With, he was great. Yeah, awesome makeup job. Like if if you like, I I know Bruce Box Boxleitner's voice. So I recognized him right away, but if you didn't recognize the voice, you wouldn't even realize that was Captain Sheridan from Babylon 5. Like, it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm gushing, but I love the Orville. Fantastic show. I recommend it. You know, the only thing that makes me sad is apparently it hasn't officially been canceled, but there are no plans yet for season Yeah, it hasn't four. officially. It, it, it has been neither canceled nor renewed. Yeah, all all I the last I heard was that all the actors like they're they were freed from their contract to the Orville. Right. Mm-hmm. To pursue other work. So if they do another season of the Orville, some of those characters may not be there. Yeah. Um, and well, I know yeah. and I know, you know Seth MacFarlane has the new like the Ted prequel show coming out next yeah. month. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's hard to say, but we got three great seasons, I think, of, yep. of television and and, yeah. and the way they the way they ended season three. If that's the series finale, it's a pretty good finale. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. especially that penultimate episode, like that was awesome. Like that, yeah. well, that could have been a movie. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, to have a nice you know get together, you know, the doctor and and um, Isaac getting married. I- it was it was it was awesome, it was. But anyway, um, I've said enough. Uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on the Oroville? Um, I really like it. I was bracing myself for a disaster with you know Seth MacFarlane does Star Trek. Mm. It was a lot funnier than I find most of his stuff, um, mm-hmm. especially a lot more thoughtful, not only than what I would associate with Seth MacFarlane but also a lot more thoughtful than a lot of modern Trek. Like we were talking about discovery beforehand. And I think the Orville addresses and like spends more time on social justice issues by far. It's just that discovery, it doesn't feel like it really cares about issues or characters. It just wants dramatic emotional beats for the sake of it. Whereas the Orville actually seems to care about its characters. It seems to care about these issues it's especially the longer episodes, it, it's willing to give these sort of things the breathing room and respect and concern that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I 100% want this in my Star Trek. I want a diverse cast. I Star Trek without social justice concerns isn't really Star Trek in my mind. Yeah. And the Orville really gets that and takes it seriously. 
And it's not just those issues, like it cares about its characters, but it also cares about the more galactic conflicts and then uses one to drive the other in a way that I'm finding missing, you know, in, in, in other sort of Trek mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, I really liked, you know, the Krill storylines. I, I loved everything to do with the Mocklins, both the, you know, the, their, um, both with their daughter and their, the issue of, you know, either call it as a trans or intersex thing, or there's feminist aspects to it. Mm-hmm. I love those sort of things, but I also just love the smaller bits of the, the chain smoking, the mustache. Like I, I adore the Mocklins and, and almost all their storylines. I think mm-hmm. it also handled um, time interference a little bit better than Star Trek generally does. And there was a paradox kind of introduced in one of the, the more recent uh, or one of the later uh, time travel episodes that if they had another season would probably come up again. Mm-hmm. But I think they handled those ones a lot. Like I really loved the episode where uh, uh, Kelly Grayson goes down and, and you know heals a kid and then all of a sudden it entirely affects their, their culture. Mm-hmm. And then later on, there's another episode where we get that those that culture coming back that just I, I adored for it. It, it. it was a very weird episode and I loved it. And I just, yeah, it, it feels like it really cares about its characters. It knows what it's about. It understands a bit more the kind of things that make Trek feel like Trek. And even when there's dumb gags and things like that, it still really seems to respect its subject matter and its, its characters. And it's like so many characters there that... As you as you mentioned, Chris, that, that came from other truck projects. Um, there's like Cassidy from DS9 and being a major role there, and I don't know. It was just, the, yeah. There's there's some small criticisms for sure I have of it, but mm. it just felt a lot more like Trek than you know Picard or Discovery did. And it, yeah, I, I really wish we'd get another season, especially with the longer episodes that they they ended up with. It really felt more like they had breathing room to do the kind of, you know, both character and plot work that a lot of these 12 episode, you know, 45 minute things just didn't have. Mm-hmm. And it felt really, I don't know, it just, yeah, I enjoyed as a whole, on the whole, I enjoyed the writing and the humor and the characterization and yeah, it, it was just great. And I really wish we'd get another season. Yeah, I, I agree. And even with the, the, like I said, like the actors were released from their contracts, so they're not con- contractually obligated to come back. I would be okay if they did like an Orville spinoff. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, even if you had like a new crew and, and you could have like Seth MacFarlane show up once in a blue moon as the Admiral, I, I'd be okay with that. Be, because I really like the universe that they've created here. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think it, you know, kind of like TNG, there's room for other crews and other stories to be told. Um, you know, cause like, I know like when, like I use TNG as an example, when TNG was first proposed, everyone was like, well, you can't do, you know, a next generation, you know, it has to be Kirk, Spock and McCoy. And then we got the next generation and then it was like, Oh, I guess we could, we can do other crews and, mm-hmm. and have it be interesting. And I think the Orvilles could be the same way. Like, um, you know, you could have a different ship, or maybe it's the Orville 2, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I you know, I would hope that, you know, you would get some guest appearances, like C. Kelly, or, or you know, like I said, Seth MacFarlane show up as an admiral. I think that would be kind of cool. But I just love that universe that they created, and there's definitely a lot of potential there. Um, 
Stephanie, what are your thoughts? Um, I, again, am agreeing with everything that all of you have said. I, the first episode when I watched it the first time, it was, wow, this is Star Trek not taking itself seriously, mm-hmm. even in the serious parts. And I love that. It was just fantastic. Um, I guess the one thing that I didn't realize until I rewatched it most recently, I thought that Seth MacFarlane had people helping him write the episodes. From what I understand, that's not the case. He's written oh, wow. every single episode. I th- I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. And I was listening to the reason why that caught my ear was I was listening to an interview with, I don't even remember which one, but they were basically saying that that was the thing that was really slowing down the production. Yeah. And part of me, like, I don't know McFarlane well enough, but it's like, he's a busy dude. He's got a lot of different irons in the fire. Maybe this is one that he could let go to somebody really passionate that could write another season. Mm-hmm. Just saying, like, I don't know the guy well enough, but I kind of got the impression that maybe that's what's going on. I would just, I want to see that for a season two, whether he writes it or somebody else writes it. I don't care. Just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But yeah, yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's definitely a busy dude. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, J. Michael Straczynski he wrote almost every episode of Babylon 5, but he was only doing Babylon 5. What? Whereas Seth MacFarlane's got Family Guy. I think they still make American Dad. He's got this so, yeah. TED show. Um, plus, you know, he does movies and stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he, de- he needs to delegate. Because, yeah, this, yeah. this universe that they've created is so awesome. But we can't, yeah. they can't sit at idle. It, it's, it's too good. Um, Ragnar, what are your thoughts, sir? Um, I'm just going back to what Stephanie said. I was trying to Google it, but I didn't get through that. I I could have sworn that I saw in the credits that they had actually listed a bunch of writers who worked on various Star Trek shows. But I don't know. uh, We'll have to spend five minutes when we're not distracted researching Yeah. But, um... I'm pretty sure that he was involved in like every Seth MacFarlane was involved in like every aspect of producing the show. Mm-hmm. He, like he directed some of them. He wrote some of them, you know, he created the characters. Like, I think he was involved in the whole thing. I think it was, yeah. Like a, he was the showrunner, but I think it was also like a passion project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so that might be part of it too. Like if it's a passion project, I get like, I've got my own passion projects, but the biggest thing I've learned from my own is when I let go and trusted other people, that's when those projects really took off. So yeah. it's like, just let it go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let it grow. There we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I think, I think it's a great show. I love it. Sure. There's, there's things you could nitpick. There's, mm-hmm. there's episodes that are better than others. There's, seasons that are better than others um i'm doing a rewatch right now i'm almost done and there is a very noticeable upgrade between season two and three right the the visual effects are noticeably better the cgi is noticeably better the costumes the sets 
um, some of the alien creatures who are practical effects. Like it, Hulu spent a lot of money on season three. They spent mm-hmm. big on it, and season three kicks serious ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, like it's you know it was like the difference from going from VHS to DVD. Like it's a noticeable upgrade in quality. Mm-hmm. As well as season three, they had more money to bring in uh, more actors for cameos. The soundtrack is more epic. Epic in season three, they probably had a bigger symphony scoring it. Like, like season three is a noticeable upgrade. They feel uh, like mini movies, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, it's like movie quality. Um, but yeah, it's a great show, and I love it. And uh, like Ray, the only thing I really have to say is, God, I hope they make more. Whether it's a spinoff or the same characters or a hybrid where it's some of the cast and some new people. I don't care, but mm-hmm. make more of it because it was awesome. And it was giving me the, the cra- it was fulfilling the cravings I had for new Star Trek that new yes. Star Trek wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't fitting. So, yeah. You know, and I mentioned this earlier when we were talking about, you know, like with myself, you know, there's so many things that I need to watch because there's so much content out there. Uh, the unfortunate thing with the Orville is if the, if this had come out like 20 years ago, it would have been a smash success, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't as much. Yeah, when there was. Yeah. You're right. If it came out, you know, after Enterprise in that uh, yeah, dead like, spot. Yeah. The, yeah. Pre, pre-streaming, I think it would have it, it would have knocked it out of the park. But the unfortunate yeah. thing is we have so much content now. I think that's one of the reasons why the Orville hasn't caught on as much as we would like because so, so, there's so much for other people to watch that yeah. it kind of falls through the cracks, I think, with some people. Like yeah. like all of us have watched it and all of us love it, but I also know a lot of people that have never watched it. Yeah, mm-hmm. loads, of, loads mm-hmm. of, of people I know that like Star Trek have never watched it. Yeah, and and it's I, just and it's I just a shame. Them. I because, keep telling them like, it's so good. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I and I really think it's because there's so much other content out there that's vying for our time that it kind mm-hmm. of falls through the cracks. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and some and some people I think have a misconception uh, when it comes yes. to Seth MacFarlane because they think oh it's the Family Guy guy oh right. yeah you know and you know Which, they, they hey, man, the Family I, Guy I had that too when I went in. When I went in to watch it, it had already season one had been out forever. I think season two was out by the time I I started watching it. Yeah, I was like, okay, fine. I'm bored of everything. I'll try this show. And then I was like, holy fuck, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's still a bit of the dumb Seth MacFarlane humor, but they abandoned most of that pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah. And I remember like. Um... The reason why I watched it is I was watching something else on Fox at the time, and they and the advertisements for it was you know Seth, Seth MacFarlane and John Favreau was part of it, and right yep. there I was like sold. I'm going to check it out because I like Seth MacFarlane. I think he's hilarious, and John Favreau. Like I mean, you know, like I said, Iron Man. You know, like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know Elf, the movie Elf. Like you know, the guy's just a great filmmaker yeah. i was like yeah, i john, gotta check it out john favreau's done a lot of great 
great stuff. Yeah, so this was like pre-Mandalorian, so like, you know, he yeah. didn't have the Mandalorian yet. But then, like, when I saw it, it was associated with that, I was like, well, it's going to be good because it's John Favreau. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they did a good job selling me to check it out. Um, but, unfortunately, like, I think, yeah, some people just have a misconception about it. And, and yeah, like, with the overabundance of, of stuff to watch, it kind of fell through the cracks. So I'm, I'm hoping, eventually, it'll gain some traction. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's It's so good. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably do an episode where we specifically talk about the Orville in more detail. Um, yes. it, it, you know, probably early in the new year, I'm thinking, but, um, yeah. I think we can call this an episode. Uh, but before we go, uh, we will play that little game of where we can find you on the internet. Um, you can check me out here at the pop culture pub podcast network. As I said, we got one more episode of Geek Fallout coming, and then we've got the Christmas special, and then we will be back in 2024, early 2024, with new episodes of this podcast and, and the other podcasts, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Stephanie, where can we find you? Uh, currently, you can probably easiest place to find me would actually be just on Facebook. If you look up the Bean Counter, Edmonton's Coffee Connection. Um, or since we're coming up into Christmas, I need to do my shameless band plug. Uh, awesome. Look up Mill Creek Colliery Band. I'm one of the board members. And we have an awesome concert coming up on December 16th. So hmm. look up Mill Creek Colliery Band and you can find me there, too. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Nowhere, unfortunately. I don't have much for public uh, profiles. I'm really all just a figment of your guys' imagination. <laughs> I knew it. Your calms, right? You got me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Aren't uh, we all at heart? As I think so. True. There's no proof otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, Ray, I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out here, but... You could seriously cosplay any any character that Combs has done and nail it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I will take that as the wonderful compliment it clearly you, is. You would make a great Wei Yun. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. I, Challenge accepted. Turn up a little bit here. That's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, next, next Halloween. That'd be so much fun. Excellent. And Ragnar, where can we find you, sir? Oh, uh, RagnarTheTrader.com is my uh, website, which I neglected all year. And now, of course, in the busy season, I'm wishing I hadn't. And uh, I'm also active on both Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I am pretty much done trade shows for the year. I have a little one-day anime market in saskatoon mm. on the 16th and other than that you got to wait all the way till february for me to start doing trade shows again all right so you get a nice little break so that'll that'll be good mm -hmm. yeah yeah i unfortunately won't be just sitting around i have a a lot of work to do and a lot of planning for next year yep uh, got a whole pile of new irons in the fire so to speak but um or maybe i should say horns on the cows <laughs> excellent but anyways um i am excited to to be home for about six weeks 
uh, nice. in consecutive order, which will be very nice. Excellent. Nice. All right. Well, on behalf of myself, Chris Lockhart, my co-hosts this evening, Ragnar, Ray, and Stephanie, I want to thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to listen to Trek 1701. This is one of our Beta Crew episodes, and we will see you again in the not-too-distant future.